which is massive. And you can call that your work and it's all in the dark. No one sees it, right? It's underwater. No one sees effort and hours and practice and stuff. So you see an iceberg, right? You see the tip, you can see the success, but you have no idea what's underneath and what's behind it. And that's exactly true. That is the only way unless you're a meme, which is, which is a, like, <laughs> no, I'm, I mean that, like that, that yeah. girl, that kid on some talk show who said, um, that cash me outside. Oh, girl, yeah, she, yeah. She was a, as a living and breathing meme. This episode is brought to you by EDM Foundations. EDM Foundations is my course for new producers, those who've been producing for under 12 months or even those who've just started. The whole idea of the EDM Foundations course is that you learn the fundamentals of music production by actually doing and not just learning the theoretical stuff. The course consists of over 12 hours worth of streamable video where I walk you through the creation of three songs and give you advice and tips for working on your own original alongside them. We've had over 500 people sign up for this course. Many of them have had great results. If you want to learn more about the course, head over to edmfoundations.com. Hello everyone, this is Sam Mallett and welcome to another episode of the EDM Podcast where it's my job to interview successful artists and music industry experts. My guest today is Josh Jett, but he's better known as Arcane Echo, a guy with lots of tattoos who posts button-pushing videos on Facebook and YouTube. Josh is a fascinating guy, and going into this interview, I knew hardly anything about him. I expected us to talk for an hour or so about the usual production-related stuff and perhaps dig into what he does with his launchpad edits. But this interview took a completely different direction, and we ended up talking for almost three hours about, well, everything. Some of you might find this episode a little bit too cynical, uh, but I think it's refreshing. And we cover a ton of stuff in the interview, including Josh's definition of success, the intense workload of an artist in today's industry, why you shouldn't trust anyone, how successful artist-manager relationships work, and why most of them don't, the two epiphanies I had while listening to Josh, why you need to hustle, how to work fast in the studio, hint, there's no secret formula, and finally, Josh's technique for staying grounded. Uh, I really like this one. We talk about it right at the end of the episode. And it just shows how Josh thinks about his career and about his place in the industry. You can find the full show notes for this episode at edmprod.com slash 57. That is edmprod.com slash 57. Welcome back to the EDM podcast today. I'm joined uh, by Josh, also known as Arcane Echo. Josh, how's it going, my man? Very good. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Thanks for coming on. Uh, now, a lot of people listening to the show will have heard of you, or maybe they've, they've seen your videos, but they don't quite know who you are. So for those people who don't know you, who are you? What do you currently do? And how did you get there? Ah, small question to start off with. Um, <laughs> um, so my name's Josh. I go by the name Arcane Echo. Um, more than likely, people have just seen a, a video just scrolling on the internet or whatnot. 
of mine, but have no association to, to actually me or who I am. So that's cool. Um, primarily I'm one of those, um, button pushing internet meme kind of guys with, um, yeah, with, uh, I can, I can wear that. I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah, um, yeah. I, um, I just sort of take songs or uh, remix songs and make edits of them myself, my own remixes and then perform them on like a machine or launch launch pad. Um, for, um, for, for a bit of fun, to be honest, mm. um, I started off, I started off doing it f- for fun because it wasn't actually the first thing that I did. I, um, I kind of just had a machine pad in my little makeshift studio in my lounge room a couple years ago. And I would just tap away at it, um, as a production tool for, for beats that weren't so typical or, or fills, for example. And then I put one, one up as a fill, it was just an original, like mucking around fill on Instagram. Um, maybe, maybe like two years ago, I think two and a bit. And I, um, it actually got more of a, it was like a 10 second thing on the old Instagram and it, it, it got more of a reaction than anything I've ever done previously in my whole life. Wow. Yeah. So I was like, Oh, there might be something here. And, um, and it was just, I guess my way of like being able to do something in the music industry, well, electronic music industry and, um, and actually having people's getting people's attention for that 10 or 15 seconds. And so uh, I know that people love familiarity. So I, um, I started remixing old hip hop tracks and stuff that I was sort of, um, using in DJ sets and, uh, integrating them and instead of like, um, just doing a remix and chucking it up on the net and saying, Hey, please, listen to my song i was able to present it in a way which was entertaining to people who aren't at all interested in production they just like to hear stuff so i grabbed that and um i kind of went from there and it it just um it did uh take a little while the first year was pretty quiet as in views and followers and whatnot but i was lucky enough to um get a little bit of blog love and um a couple of shares on some some major pages and i uh kind of just went from there i just decided to uh run with it um i'm still doing obviously like dj sets and um uh, music production all the time it's pretty much all i do but the main thing that the brand arcane echo is known for is um the button pushing on the internet sort of thing i guess yeah no because your your videos on facebook get millions of views right some do some do some yeah do. <laughs> yeah what was there a certain video that like uh like kicked it off for you um i Oh, I did a, a peaking duck one and then I did, and that was okay. It's sort of like, it's, it was like a slow progressional rise, I guess. It was um like a peaking duck one that went around within what I'd call the Australian producers sort of little family. Like it was um it's sort of my way of putting my hand up and saying, Hey, I'm sort of here. And then the next one I did was sandstorm at the time it was a meme. So, well, it still is, but I did sandstorm just because it was so, recurrent i guess or, or yeah, yeah yeah repopular um and then i um then i did a chain smokers one and i don't e- i don't even have it anymore I, I think it's on youtube i don't really know where i put it but um the act the chain smokers reposted it so that's i think that's when it sort of kicked off and that was when i was using um a microphone stand and my old iphone to film them like yeah, it was completely terrible production. I, I'd like tap a beat out on on the machine pad just by itself, just the one singular pad. 
film it on a oh, iPhone five, I think with, and it was like being held up with a couple of clothes pegs. Like it was not official or look, looking good. The quality was terrible, but I guess it kind of got the idea and the videos were back then were like 10, 15 seconds, just a, a re sort of drop of something. And it was terrible, but yet, okay enough to be entertaining for for the seconds and then yeah the chain smokers i thought well i better up my game i better like put some effort in <laughs> and, and actually like make some kind of production value out of these videos and then yeah i went from there i like that though because i think a lot of uh producers artists anyone actually uh they think they need a lot of expensive gear to get anywhere yeah for industry. sure yeah absolutely yeah so Let's go back even further. What age roughly did you actually get into music? Not necessarily production, but did you like, did you play an instrument? What, tell us about that. Cool. So my mom, mom and dad put me into piano lessons at the age of four. Four. So yeah, yeah, really early. It was those, you know, clap along sort of lessons. It was <laughs> yeah, very, very young and very basic, but that's when I started my, my path down music. So I kind of only know music. I've, I've only done it forever. And, um, each afternoon, um, would be just a regime of music lessons. And I have a younger brother and sister and they both do the same thing, played piano when they were very young and other instruments we moved on to. And I would be, I'm, I'm older than them by five and seven years. So I, I was the, the makeshift tutor for music in each school after, after school each afternoon. And, um, I, I don't know, in high, uh, primary school, sorry, I picked up the violin, um, as well, guitar. Um, I did very embarrassingly small youth choirs and whatnot, but nothing, <laughs> nothing, nothing too spe- special. And then in high school I picked up, um, the double bass and drums and more vocal work and more choir work and, I guess, um, yeah, I just sort of, I sort of liked the idea of being an all-rounder when it came to like picking up an instrument. The only thing I don't really focus on would be anything brass, but basically strings and stuff. I've got that down. So I've done the, I've done piano for. Oh man, I don't even want to say like <laughs> I did like lessons for almost seventeen years to, to um, just piano and then. A, a guitar for like 10 and drums for 10 and violin for seven double bass for like four and i don't know i um yeah i i only know music man like in in school i did all the extended music classes and for the for the um extra work you could do i would just pick a music extension class because i knew it and it was something i was so comfortable with and doing um and then after school, I, I studied music again. I just did a diploma of music production and performance in um, Queensland and then moved on to the conservatorium to do music production. And then nothing for like three years. I was like getting jobs and just floating around being a 20-year-old for a while trying to find. What brought you back then? To what, or what, what shifted? Okay, well, in in school when I was doing all that music and, and whatnot, I was really into like the emo and metal music. I was that typical emo kid in 2006 and seven, <laughs> with, yeah, with like the fringe and yeah, I remember those days. Yeah, <coughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I still rep the fringe, so it's all, it's all good. <laughs> I um, I I was really into the metal stuff, and I was in a band, and I was in a couple of bands with some friends, a high school stuff, nothing nothing crazy and we entered some cool competitions and battle of the bands and stuff and played some some shows and i always like 
I always wanted to be like the, the Deftones or Slipknot. I wanted to do all that kind of stuff. And um, I remember listening to records from a perfect circle and just like rocking out in my room and thinking like I'd be on stage with a guitar and all that. But that scene wasn't as, um, I guess, developing and turning as popular as the whole electronic music stuff. So, and I wasn't, admittedly, I wasn't even into any of that stuff after high school. I didn't listen to dance music or those Ministry of Sound albums or anything like that. But um, I, in like in the middle of my floating around for jobs, I was a music teacher um, for, for a little while. I taught piano and taught drums and taught guitar and stuff. And um, there were a couple of like workshops where kids would come in for um, two or three days and learn how to write a song and how to perform a song and and stuff like that. And I, I just kind of fell into that thinking like, well, you spend your younger years learning and then you spend your older years teaching. I just kind of skipped the whole performing thing. Um, and what brought me back was, well, I didn't start DJing at all or even thinking about it until I was 21. So super late to the game in like, I know 17, 18 year old kids now who are really killing it and I just think to myself, I wish I started when I was younger, but that's just how it was. Um, I guess I just, I, um, I went to a local Brisbane club uh, with a bunch of friends one night and um, I was so, so bored. I was just sitting there watching everyone do whatever they do and I was just so bored and I went up to the DJ booth purely to escape for the night. Right, yeah. So get, it was super crowded and I just wanted to like go chill and I figured some guy who was playing tunes, I had nothing, no idea about DJing. I had no idea about it at all. I just thought like I had no idea. I thought they were still scratching records at the time. Like I had no idea about it, but I watched this guy. He was super nice. Let me in um, the little booth area and he just said, yeah, chill and do it whatever. I was not causing any drama. So I just sort of watched. Um, and because I was a little bit musically inclined, I, I sort of noticed exactly what he was doing. And um, I could pick up without sort of him telling me what was going on, what he was doing. He had a track on the left, track on the right. He was manipulating both and then the volume in the middle. So add effects and there you go. Um, but he had this control over this relatively large crowd, which I had never really – I've seen it obviously on YouTube videos or whatever with bands and whatnot. But I saw him controlling with um, just pop songs and remixes and whatnot, whatever was hot at the time he was controlling this crowd and their reactions and whatnot. And I just was like, oh, fuck man, I could do that. I could definitely do that. Um, wasn't even thinking about money or anything. It just became this, this art of just either gluing songs together or writing songs that would have an effect on people, if not for just like a minute, um, or a whole night would just, I just fell in love with it. And, um, so I went to this local electronic store, and bought a um a toy DJ element. Like it was I don't even remember what it was called. I don't know the brand, but it basically it didn't even play MP3 CDs. It was so bad. There's this tiny little toy thing that's maybe like not even a keyboard long. And I just I decided, you know, that's all I could afford. It was like two hundred bucks. And um I just I spent I just spent six months sort of in my room just researching everything I could about electronic music and mixing and I fell in love with that whole like Dutch house sound like Chucky and old Afrojack old Afrojack old Afrojack yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, I fell in love with that stuff and I, I really liked the driving force of the, the electronic like the kicks and the how hard it was and I liked I liked that element and then I um 
I went from there. So getting back into it, I just decided at the age of 21, I want to be a DJ and I'm just going to give it my best, I guess. And I, I just, the electronic world was just new to me then. So it was very, I walked in very wide eyed and like, this is amazing. I'm just going to do my best and give it a crack. So I guess coming, what brought me back into it was the fact that it was something that you could actually do. Like you can't just grab a bunch of mates, start a band and be like, yeah, we're a band now. Let's tour and make money and live off this. Like you can't, well, you, I guess you can, but more often than not, I wasn't able to do that as many times as I tried. So the DJing thing was a viable option for me and I, I just fell in love with it straight away. I love that. Now I've got two questions from, are you doing this full time now? Absolutely. So, yeah. So how long did it take to get to that point of doing it full time? And, and what was the most challenging aspect of that specifically? Mm, yeah. Yeah. So I had um, one of those floating jobs, as I was saying, um, when I was 21, I was actually working for my dad. He owns um, a, a um, an events and production company where he holds events for like galas and yeah. And like big corporate events and whatnot. So he has all this stuff set up for that. So I was just helping like a stagehand basically. And, um, that was my full-time job. So Monday to Friday do that until I was finding whatever I wanted. <clears throat> um, so I guess I started off in the really bottom of the ladder, like local Brisbane DJ scene. It wasn't even a scene, I guess it was just like, I was just so interested in the art of it and wanted to play. Basically, I didn't care about money or anything. My first thing was at this place called the Chalk Hotel. It was not really a residency or gig or anything. It was just like I, I'd annoyed the guy so much that he just would like give me one hour or half an hour at the very end of a Friday night. And I had like I was the only kid who walked into the club with like a CD case, like a big bag of CDs because that's what it was on the CDJ Mark ones. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I spent all, I told him, you know, I spent all my week burning this playlist onto CDs and I want to just play. He's like, can you do it? And I'm like, I don't know, man, but just let me try. And the very first time I ever got up in front of anyone, I, um, I just loaded the track, show me love. I just made this edit for show me love. And I knew everyone wanted to sing that. And that was very commercial and blah, blah. And I was about to hit play and I was super excited for my first ever, I guess, performance in front of this tiny crowd of maybe 40 people. I don't know. And then some drunk guy stood on the cable and brought the whole booth monitor down on top of the decks and the whole thing just literally broke and cracked. And I was, of course, to blame, even though, yeah, so everyone just started screaming and yelling and laughing and carrying on. I was like, wow, I'm never doing this again. But but I obviously did. And then I just I picked up really local gigs, like the back of pubs sort of thing for ages in, in Brisbane, like years, like two years. And um, I played very commercially because that's what you had to do in order to play a gig, basically, which is just top top 40 and whatnot. Still working and still doing normal life stuff. I guess normal, I don't know. <laughs> you know, expected expected life stuff where you get yeah, a job yeah. and oh, save money. Then I got an office job um, at a, a company called Nightlife, which supply music to venues, like automatic playlists and whatnot. Okay, yep. And um, whenever you go to a pub or club and there's not an act playing, Nightlife will usually be playing their playlists in the background. Um, and I thought, this is kind of the music industry that you get to like deal with clients making lists of music and you just sort of 
help them. I thought it was, I tried to find the DJ element where I could be like semi passionate about sitting in front of a computer for eight and a half hours a day, mm-hmm. telling people how to restart their computers so that music would play. So, um, I got it. I figured like, you know, I got a desk job, like I'm super grown up now and I'm <laughs> 23 and blah, blah, blah. But I still had this itching for playing, um, clubs and trying to be the whole thing, the whole act. <clears throat> I um I got a, a a DJ residency um at this place in Brisbane called the Victory Hotel. And I um very pub like. It's nothing it's a club, but very pub like and I um I wa- I walked in and I played a set that was um a closing set, nothing special, but it was the night when a sort of takeover in management happened. So a brand new, a brand new venue manager came in and saw just my little end of the night. And he, um, he sort of came in with the, the idea to revamp the whole pub and club and, and sort of get rid of the old and keep and start again. So he was going to bring all of his friends, all of his new DJs and whatnot. And he goes, um, I'd like to keep you on a, um, a Thursday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. Yeah. I'm like, that's unheard of like an actual residency. And I was super excited, like amazing. I get to play three times a week. Are you kidding? And he's like, yeah. And I'm, I'm going to offer you a hundred dollars an hour. And I was like, I, that was the most money in the whole world to me, like a yeah, hundred dollars yeah. an hour. I basically felt like a CEO and I was just strutting around <laughs> like so cool. And it ended up being just over a grand a week. And I was like, wow, like this is I had to put in the hours obviously, but I, I was just so, it was like a, a like a chance, you know, he gave me like a, an, a chance to actually um, put some time into it during the week. So a bit of a six month overlap with working full time at that office job and then, um, and then playing Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. But um, I just decided, I was like, you know, what if I, if I don't put the pressure on, I'll get too comfortable. Mm-hmm. I might, I might be a DJ at a local pub forever. Um, because I still wanted to chase the, chase the dream sort of thing. Yeah. But, um, I just decided I sat down with my manager at the time and I'm like, Hey man, as far as money's concerned, I'm making enough. But, um, as far as time is concerned, I just don't have the energy or time to have a job. And that's when I was turned 24, I sort of pulled the plug on working and just DJed locally. Was that scary doing that? Oh, it's terrifying. I was shaking during the chat. I was like, Hey man, I've got to talk to you his name's ben i'm like hey ben i gotta have a chat to you after lunch but he said to me that he knew what i was coming to him about so as soon as i sat down i'm like i just want to talk about my position here he's like you just want to leave and be a dj don't you and i was like yeah actually (laughs) so he's he's fully cool about it and whatnot so but yeah i was hell scared because you don't you're not trained to or programmed or whatever to grow up and leave some security for to chase a dream i mean you know everyone sort of says you know chase that dream and do what you want but it's super daunting oh yeah yeah it's hella scary so but i did it and um i've had terribly high ups and like a high amount of ups and downs along the way mm-hmm. so it's been terrifying but yeah it's all i do now and uh, well I, I did that local job for about a year at the vic and then he um as a venue manager the guy who gave me the chance had to move on and turned into a, um, a new venue manager who had a different way of thinking and wanted to basically revamp the whole entertainment structure at the venue, included the DJs, which meant see you later for me. And, um, that's, that was cool, but 
um, I'm yeah, I had to figure something out real quick. <laughs> so how did how did you deal with that then? Well, I um was lucky enough to meet a friend of mine um who had a job at a place called DJ Warehouse, which was a um oh yes yeah yeah DJ Warehouse. They sell and hire DJ and speaker equipment, but they also hold lessons for Ableton and lessons for DJing, and that was actually a full time job. So he gave me the opportunity to work there um, and join that very small team of three or four people um, in Brisbane on a full-time scale. So I was very lucky to be able to like go into something straight away where I was like, oh, this is super industry. This is, you know, selling CDJs or hiring speakers and giving Ableton lessons and stuff. And um, yeah, so I, I, I saved, I, I was saved very quickly for that. And um and then moved on to the next project. Super exciting stuff, which is um, you know what, admittedly something I don't talk about as much anymore. Um, <laughs> the project is called Mash and Kutcher. I don't know if you. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you ever heard of them? Absolutely. Um, yeah, so that was the next chapter. While because he was the the guy that I worked at DJ Warehouse with, he was the guy who offered offered me the job. We um we teamed up for that project. Um, both being local DJs and thinking, you know, the same, same way about wanting to make it, wanting to have a really successful project. We decided to team up cause I had never really teamed up with anyone. I've had a couple of, you know, dream projects, but nothing actually came out of it. So this was the first real sort of, um, effort we'd put in to become what we wanted, I guess, follow that dream sort of thing. Um, then what happened oh and then we both quit our jobs at dj warehouse and that's that was the last job we had so that was a while ago three years ago i think yeah oh, three three or four yeah so it I, that that was a bit different though because i wasn't by myself in the project i had another guy and we um Oh, actually, I lied. I, I, I did have another job to float a while. I had my uncle owns a, a burger joint in the city. So I actually, I was there for like four months, I think, not even just like helping him out, working the counter just to make rent money. But it was so, it was so part time, it almost wasn't really. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, yeah. And then that's, that's when the whole DJing thing took over, like really primarily. I had a local gig for a while, but the Mash and Kutcher project really took it off for, for us. So, so how were you involved in Mash and Kutcher? Well, we became a duo. So Mash and Kutcher, is, uh, it was his idea. He, he had the idea of doing the mashups and creating the brand, and it was super intriguing. I, I thought it was awesome. Um, I always had that itch to do original music because I had been producing for such a long time, but not doing anything with it. I just write a song and I might chuck it in my DJ sets and then that'd be it. I didn't have too much of an outlet. Um, so it was his idea, but he just came to me with it and said it should be a duo and I'd like to do this. And I was like, yeah, hell yeah. So um, I, um, we basically split the responsibilities down the middle as far as creating the sets and the live performance, which was just drumming and adding keyboards and machine pads and blah, blah, blah. And um, we were lucky enough to, um, well, we spent a while just, creating the idea and designing it and putting little edits up on SoundCloud and trying to trying to do things that way and just keep it ourselves. And then he, um, he wrote an email or messaged someone down in Melbourne to do a show down there. And, um, they run lucky and agency and management. And, um, yeah, they, um, 
they said if we um, came down and did a show, they might consider working with us as, you know, if we were any good. <laughs> so we uh, we did that. We flew ourselves down, played a show. It was an amazing show. It was at Billboards, which is like a huge club down there. Um, and they were interested in working with us and we absolutely were very interested in working with them because it was the biggest thing that had ever happened to me or us at all. It was huge. It was like, wow, this huge group of people who run, you know, like huge clubs and events and tours and stuff. They actually want to work with us. That was crazy. Mm. It was like, so we, um, we were very lucky for that project to start taking off. Like we were able to put in full-time effort and just play shows around the country and, and um and start building the brand which was super important at the time you know for anyone just coming up in the scene i remember well, being at a um sorry to interrupt no, that's right. there was a thing in melbourne it was like a conference for a day got what it was called uh, my electronic music conference but one of the oh yeah yeah i think it was a social i, I can't remember who it was actually but the social media person for mashing culture talked about that branding aspect and the videos and like, you know, it was, it was super fascinating. Like how those blew up. I was actually out of the group by the time those videos blew up. Oh man. Yeah. So we did mashups primarily for SoundCloud and like as far as videos and viral videos, that was later on down the track because, um, um, as I said, I wanted to do original music primarily, which was just right you know, whatever I wanted to at the time, I think I just made like bangers. Basically I loved the whole EDM music thing like Botnik and back then it was like, you know, hard electro or whatever. I loved all that stuff and I wanted to write it and release it. Whereas Mashing Kutcher was very commercial at the time. And, think, and intentionally. Yeah, 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 of course. So the, the aim, the aim was to create a brand and get a following with, um, something that they're familiar with the people and then when we have their attention hit them with some original stuff and, and actually have a platform to present that with um and but i'm very uh, i was just a very impatient person and i thought a year of just commercial music and what what was trending on stage um was like how we were getting booked sort of just didn't sit right with me and um having to get up and play um, which is obviously I was very, very lucky and an amazing opportunity to be able to travel and play shows. I'm not taking that for granted at all, but I just always knew and I had that itch that I just wanted to do it sort of my way. And, um, I kept asking the question to myself, like, you know, kept it internally. When's it going to turn into, um, sort of just like our original music idea where we'd write our songs and they'd, you know, go on the radio or get signed to a label or something. I don't know. When was that going to happen? And then there was an opportunity to work with a really cool record label and a really cool guy that we all met up with. And it was super nice and everything, but the energy was focused on, I guess you could say, mashed and kutchering, um, like back catalog sort of music for the label. So it was, um, they wanted to revamp and sort of make into dance music a couple of their older, very successful songs. And I put forward the idea of like, you know, we'll be, will we also be able to write original music and present that. But as much as they say yes and like the idea, it was very much, it was very much, can you please revamp our old back catalog? And I, that's when I pulled the plug. So this is before viral videos or anything like that. I just said, oh, I mean, this is a major record deal. So you guys sort of take it and run and have fun because yeah, it's, that must be tough. 
Oh, it's crazy, crazy difficult because um, in the in the eyes of uh, our very local Australian DJ act, we were um, on the up. Like we were going to get more shows, get more money, get more following, get more get more of everything, and and it was all you know coming to fruition, which was super exciting, super daunting, but um, actually happening. So, but I'm. admittedly a very difficult person to work with because I only do what I want. And, um, as soon as I sat down and had a real think about it, I knew that doing this would be a five, 10 year plan. And I was 25, 26 turning, you know, turning into like, what do I want to do for, for a long time? How come I can't do it my way? Uh, because I want to make everyone happy. I mean, there's nothing wrong with making everyone happy. And commercial music's commercial for a reason. Like it's very, it's called pop. It's popular as hell. So it's obviously very viable and and good. But I um I just I just had I've got too much love for being I guess original. And I I as I said came from such a heavy background with love for the heavy music. And, um, I, st- you know, I'm all about that. So I just, yeah, I, I just pulled the plug. I said, cause it was a trio at the time. Um, me, Matt and Adam, I said, oh, I'm just going to take a step back and then you guys can be the duo that it should be and just run around doing your thing. And they do, and they do it well. So I, um, that's when I pulled the plug and then they did their viral videos or well, videos that turned viral, I guess. And then, um, they did all that creative stuff with, um, turning sounds into songs yeah yeah and that built a huge platform for them and they're just running around the whole world doing their thing so it's happy days for them um but no i i yeah it was difficult because I, so like i guess the appeal would be you get to play on you know big shows and tour go to america or europe and play all those shows but like and anyone in especially aspiring to be, you know, a producer or a DJ would be like, you know, that's so cool. You know, you're killing it, whatever. Um, but the appeal for the music industry for me is not that. So, uh, well, I guess it's a goal or it is a level of success, but the goal for me is to just, this is going to sound cliche and dumb as hell, but just to be happy. So yeah, I don't, no. yeah. I don't care if I play to 30 people, if I'm playing something I love and am passionate about and have written, then I'm good. So that was my attitude. Yeah. I think that's, that's crucial though. Um, cause I was talking to someone the other day and he said that he, you know, he, he was making music. He loved music. He still does, but he did the whole touring thing, you know, like international touring. I won't mention his name. He, he got to the point where he was like, I'm not supposed to be doing this. And he never felt comfortable like doing oh, okay. that, uh, which is super interesting. And I think like, I don't know if this is true for you, but if you had stayed with that, if you hadn't left, maybe you get two, three years in and you're like, man, this is not, this is not good. Yeah. I, um, uh, so I say this delicately. Um, as soon as I left, they, they signed the big deal with the big record label and, and did some really cool, really cool stuff. And, um, everyone would say, you know, I made a mistake or mm, I'd be terribly mm. jealous or, I'm super happy for their success, but I definitely know, and I've, I've obviously, they're super well known on the internet. I obviously see all the stuff they do or whatever. And I definitely know if I did two, three, four more years, like now, I, 
and I know the stuff that they've done, mm. I know that would not sit right with me. Mm-hmm. Um, they are as happy as can be. Like they are, you know, big smiles, happy days, like playing cool, everything. They're still doing really big stuff right now. So I know that they're super happy, but like I'm not attracted to what they some I'll, I'll rephrase I'm not attracted to some of the stuff that they do which is like being away from home for like a month or, or two or playing big shows where everything is like three two one jump bah, right. bah, bah, yeah. like yeah. I mean I'm not paying it out it's just not sitting it's not just my thing that's so yeah I like I, I would have burnt out exactly like your, your friend. If I, um, if I stayed and, and did technically what was required to get shows and what, what they call success, but success to me is so different. What is, and what is success to you? It's purely just to be happy. Like I, 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 I'm only happy when I'm doing my own thing. I'm not trying to like, I don't know. I, I'm I'm successful in my way, which is that I don't have any like day to day or week to week stresses. Like I don't. Yeah. I've just put myself in a position like I'm not a huge or massive successful or famous or anything, but I don't really want that. I just I I look at it like this: if I write something, I write I wrote it for a reason, mm. and if I put it out and and people like it, I'm super lucky and that's successful to me. If it's a small group of people that's okay with me because I wrote it and I, I did it sort of my way where I'm not like, okay, so I sit down, what's on the charts. Okay. Chain smokers. So I better write some one ten kind of future basic mm-hmm. stuff. Mm, okay. Yep. Make tailor it to be a little bit different. And then, um, let's hopefully I can get four or 5 million plays on Spotify or SoundCloud. And then that means, you know, I, that's, that shit's not success to me. Mm. Like, having super big likes on a post or a page or super lots of, um, plays on, on, on your songs. Like that's, I guess it's cool, but it's not really success. I mean, it's just, I mean, you could have a million likes, but so can a puppy, you know, like it's, it's cool. It's super hard to do as well. Everyone obviously loves the whole likes and success thing. But for me, man, like I still play shows to like, sometimes I played a, 15 people but those 15 people are like really into what i'm doing so yes yeah. i can still have the best time and then sometimes i play massive shows um like a little while ago i played to like like six thousand people and it was super cool yeah it was just a um festival in brisbane and it was super fun except for i played a couple of slower down tempo songs that were like trappy and whatnot and they kind of just stood there and I was like half, half of like a couple of songs. I was just like, there's no vibe and this is supposed to be huge, big production, lights, sound and everything. But like they're just there cause it's a festival. That's why people go not, not specifically, not really specifically for the, for the um, exact playlist of everyone. So yeah. unless, unless, unless you're like huge, like Skrillex or someone, of course, but um, yeah, for the local stuff, not so much, but um, yeah, I am. Um, yeah. I'm ha- Success to me is just, purely being happy day to day and not being like, I don't know, not fake. Fake's not the right word, but. I feel like all the talk in the scene is about that ideal, like the mashing kutch or the chain smokers. Like that is what you do. And if you don't 
if you don't do that, you are not a success. Yeah. Do you yeah, think? Yeah. Do you think that uh, some people in the scene, especially the new producers, new artists, have a simple view of the music industry or a simple view of what it takes to be an artist or do this full time? Well, it doesn't even have to be aspiring music producers. I think just as a whole, people anyone just sort of take a, a glimpse an un- uneducated glimpse of um someone like the chain smokers and obviously there's a huge um ter- terribly specific game plan to every single move that they make and like even like obviously the one of the biggest um acts in the world is justin bieber right and he i feel like he cops just as much hate as he does love like he um <coughs> excuse me um i don't know anything about the just like justin bieber's like project or whatever he does behind the scenes but yeah he he honestly cops and like i couldn't imagine the pressure he's under all the time being such a big huge celebrity um people just look at small they look through a very small window and just see a small portion of things like the success of the chain smokers or what mash and Kutcher are doing or what anyone who's very successful does and they might you know oh that song's like four chords who like that's so simple you know and oh, i could do that and then of course the response is you know why haven't you why are you sitting at home or why why do you work nine to five and just sit on the internet and complain about everyone there's always that hating sort of thing and then got the other side which are the aspiring djs and the producers who see their big their big idols the people they love and i want to do that and that's that's what i did i mean that's what everyone does right they see it and they want it um and i admit when i started i had fucking no idea what i was doing i had zero idea what i was doing i thought like i i in my eyes someone who ran a record label picked up artists and then managed them and saw them every day and drove them around to music lessons and cook photo shoots every Wednesday. And like, and then that was it. Massive record label puts them at number one on MTV and stuff when they played music. And then, um, I thought that's how it worked. But these days it's, you know, it's like you have to build a brand show that you've, um, done some sort of, some kind of substantial, um, big successful project before anyone even looks at you rarely do they um do artist development anymore as a record label or manager but um some some a lot of people would just take a quick snapshot of someone like as successful as chainsmokers or whoever anyone anyone successful and just go yeah i want that it should be easy but i mean you know there's some flukes where it is easy yeah, <laughs> where yeah. terribly lucky people might not even be as skilled as heaps and heaps of bedroom producers who are just self-taught amazing people and get no sort of recognition they might get you know x amount of plays and no exposure but um there are some lucky people who might be in the right place at the right time who have had the right conversation might not be as talented and have super exposure and right in the limelight the industry is terribly scary, but sometimes backwards. But um, tell tell me about that. I'm only talking about electronic um, music DJ scene. That's the only thing I'm talking about. I'm not talking about okay. rock or pop or just just I, a, just the yeah. artist producer DJ scene. Yeah, and I'm okay. super. I'm a super small fish in this. So like a lot of my opinions and whatnot 
um, being as cynical as I am, are just going to be dismissed, which is perfectly okay with me because I could never handle the pressure of being someone with a voice. Um, Mm. um, (laughs) It's super, super well known that mm, brands that are successful are a combination of work from a lot of different people, right? So that's fine. That's, that's normal. I mean, everyone is and needs help. That's, that's just life. Um, and I'm super okay with that. I get help all the time. I, you interviewed Mr. Bill on the other day. He's like a super good friend of mine and he helps me all the time on music production and making my stuff sound good, even though when it's released, it'll just have my name next to it, not his. So like I get help and everyone gets help, but there's the whole ghosting argument, which is, um, I think most people don't even give a shit, but some people are super adamant about how wrong it is or um, getting songs written for other people and then they take all the credit just by simply paying the money. (coughs) And then it turns into the whole rumor mill, like, you know, he's ghosted or he didn't even write his music or they didn't write their music, whoever. And then it's almost looked down upon, like, like, they're lesser of a person, even though they're playing huge shows. I'm not, I, I don't think it's right for me to start mentioning names or just rumors I've heard because that's, like I said, I'm just a small fish and I don't really, I, to be honest, I don't really care enough. I mean, I think, I think anyone can do whatever they want. Like I've had disagreements with people on opinion forever, my whole little electronic music career, but also, also at the exact same time, who cares? Like, who cares what I think? Who cares what they do? As long as people are happy, right? So it's backwards as in what I said before. Some people can be right place, right time and have opportunities in that no, like barely anyone will be given, which can be a full touring career and that, and they can barely glue two songs together. And then you'll, you'll think like, oh, that's not very well deserved. And in saying that, you've got the other people who have been sitting down like, 10 hours a day and, and grinding out. It, it can be backwards in a, a negative way, but it can be backwards in a positive way. Like, um, like Rez, um, she's actually amazing producer and like DJ and yeah, she's a young girl and, um, she's not advertised in any sexual manner in any way. Like, you know, she's concentrating on the music side of it and the performance. She has a huge following and she's doing really well and she worked really, really hard. Um, but straight away she can be seen as oh, someone's written her music or yeah, they'll think that yeah. they'll think that dead mouse just does it for her and she's just another act, you know, which is terribly backwards. So that's one element of it. Um, I don't know. There's, there's so much going on. And I, as you know, the popularity of DJing, being a DJ and producing has grown tenfold each year since I know the last five, 10 years, but like i it's it's very easy to just go any anywhere and be like, you'll you'll see ten DJs just sitting in a room. I'm a DJ. I'm a DJ. I'm a DJ. So yeah, cool, and um, that's super fine. But because it's so saturated and so flooded and so overpopulated that everyone's just a DJ slash producer slash whatever, it just breeds hate. It just breeds com- competitive hate over and over again, which I obviously cop, I cop hate all the time and that's perfectly normal. Um, like within, like just locally and kind of behind the scenes. Um, or are you actually, talking on social media? 
Yeah, actually, locally is kind of nice. I've got my little circle of friends, and I'll say it's little because I kind of it is. I have my circle of friends within the scene, and they're super supportive, like super mm-hmm. lovely, because they're doing the exact same thing I'm doing. Um, I don't really know too much about if people in the scene hate on what I do. If they do, no one really ever says it. I mean, I, if I hate someone, I'll still put on a smile and say, "How are you going?" Yeah, of course. I don't, I don't really hate anyone, but yeah. You know, I might not agree with some people and I'm not going to go up to them and tell them, oh, I think less of your music. Like, that's dumb. No one does that. But if they do, it's a, an article on your EDM. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's a thing. Um, um, but, yeah, the social media side, of course, I cop hate all the time. But I, it's people I don't know. It's people from other countries. It's people who have no idea about me. They don't even know my real name. They just see the video and they go, this is my sentence. I hate it. I hate him. I hate this. He's terrible. And that's fine. It's fine. I cover it all the time. It doesn't, I, it used to affect me, but now anything that I do is forgotten straight away. So it doesn't matter. Um, but you just get used to it. But that happens all the time. Even people who aren't on any kind of platform get, <laughs> I don't know, like, I'll go to a club and I'll see a completely local, seemingly innocent DJ just playing and I'll overhear or or be told how shit he is and I'll just think, why? Why 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 is he shit? Or why would you say that? Or what is going on? And then it'll be a competing DJ or someone who, you know, he might oh he spoke to my girlfriend or it gets personal, like personal always gets in the middle of it. But yeah, man, hate's just as prevalent as all the so called love that goes around. I have noticed that too. Do you think, is there anything that, you know, as, as a person in the industry, is there anything people might not know about the industry? Like, you know, ghost, ghost production is something that is it's common knowledge. There's a yeah, lot of yeah. artists where it's like, oh yeah, they were ghost producers. It's obvious and here's a proof. Yeah. But are there any, <laughs> yeah. I'm not looking for like scandalous information. I'm just talking about like um, things that, people who, who are getting into music or not quite in the depths of the industry might not know about that they should know about or perhaps be warned of? Um, okay, well, there's a couple things. One would be the workload. So I get asked this a lot, like a lot, like um, any advice, what can I do to be successful or famous or whatever their little dream is? Same as my little dream, so I'm not paying anyone out. And it's, it's just like... You know, what advice do you have? And I always say the same thing, which is to just work um, like ridiculously hard. Like for example, a 30 second video that I put up on machine or Launchpad for um, for entertainment purposes, which does cop a lot of hate as well as like some people go, oh, this is sick. But I get the personal opinion of many people who go, I don't know, play a real instrument or something what they do is they don't see the workload. So everyone just sees a snapshot of everyone and you're only as good as your last, whatever you're known for your last thing. Right. So they don't see that I've done 17 years of piano to be able to learn how to coordinate my left and right hands differently. Or they don't see that all the sound design is 4,000 years of YouTube videos that I sit down until four in the morning being like, what does this button do? Like, the, the workload is super unknown because you'll, you'll do an hour set whether you've got original music or not. They just see the set. And if like, I don't know, halfway through they don't like one song, their immediate reaction will be like, eh, it was all right. And 
so the people, the people that ask me questions, I just say it's the workload that's super unknown because you'll see those like, maybe you'll see if, if people follow producers, personal pages, you'll see, you know, up till 4am every night or, or like working super hard. And it's like, it's the workload is kind of unfathomable. It's, it's like people are trained, as I said before, to or program to be, you go to work for nine to five and then you come home and then you can like switch off. Um, but being this, because you have to establish yourself before any handouts or most of the time anyway, um, the workload is super unknown because you now it's so saturated and flooded, you have to stand out somehow. Yeah, yeah. And as it's well known, I'm definitely not the only button pusher. Like there's many and they're very, very amazing. At like Sean Wasabi and M4 Sonic, for example, they're amazing at it. And I'd say way better than I am. So like... I had to find a way to one stand up as a, as a, I'm a DJ, like look at me for a second. And then within that small button push pushing community I had to stand out. So that's why I, I like play a bit heavier, I guess, but, um, also cause I love to, but, um, it's, it's super hard to, to tell someone that like, cause when you look at a blank Ableton or whatever your um, program is to write music, when you look at a blank one for the very first time, it's dawning as hell because it's a brand new language. And I was very lucky being classically trained as a like piano player and, and learning theory all through school and all that kind of stuff because all the big and up and coming newbies, like they just hear a cool track and go like, you know, they think it might be, a, well, I guess I could say it is drag and drop, but, um, the ability to grab samples and how simple it is to just cut and glue other people's work together to make your own thing with samples can be a bit misleading. But yeah, the first thing that I can say, it's not really a secret, but the first thing people aren't ready for is the workload where you will be by yourself staring at a laptop headphones on all week, year long at night by yourself, just like grinding away and making terrible sounds before they're any good. And I know it's, it's super not a secret because every tutorial ever, some successful dead mouse or whoever will say, work hard and actually work hard, not just go out on the weekends because all your other DJs friends are out because they're, they're just going to play other people's music forever and end up not doing anything, but like, but actually work hard and actually, and it doesn't have to be like, Oh, I spent a month on a song and it sounds terrible. Like I, I, I've written this year alone, and we're only in June or something, I've written maybe 120 tracks. Wow. And not finished at all, not like finished, but I've written four, like three or four minute long tracks and I've written way over 100. And that's me learning and working. Like not at all are they good enough to release or perform, but they're tracks, you know, let alone work, I guess. And I stay up almost every night, not every night, but... um. I just sit down and I'll put something together and my friends and like people will say like, that's cool. You're going to put it out. And in my head, I'm like, hell no. But I learned something like it might be as dumb as spending a week and just finding the right kick sound. Like <laughs> I did that recently actually on a video and someone, <laughs> the first comment says you need a better kick. Oh, I was like, no. oh. it's so funny, <laughs> but it's all good. Um, I don't know. And of course music's personal. So like, I could think something's amazing and 10 other people will hate it, but that's, that's fine. Um, yeah. First thing is workload. Second thing I kind of mentioned it a little bit before is how to like, you, you don't particularly realize that 
because a lot of people look at the success of someone and go, I could do that. Right. So they'll look at the Skrillexes and the major lasers and, or whoever, you know, whoever they aspire to, to work similar to. And then you'll find that they start sounding like them. And when you, I admit I was the same, like I definitely, you're not unique, um, all the time. So if someone's already done something like the way the chain smokers did their sound, whatever that is, um, and then everyone else starts to do it, you're already second tier. So standing up to be unique in some way, which ties into working hard is super difficult because one, there's not really much left. I mean, everything's kind of thought of. There's too many genres to to count. But um, the workload is one. The second thing is try and do something, not force it, but try and come up with something where you can be like seen as different and like how how you have to ask yourself how you're going to stand up and be new and not a recycled version of someone who's already successful with what they're doing. Um, if you, if you want to persevere and sort of like stand up and be sort of that big successful artist. I mean, if you really just love rhythm and want to just make rhythm, like there's 200,000 other people doing it, then sweet. Like, <laughs> like I said, just do whatever makes you happy, but that's going to be a harder current to swim against because it's so saturated. But, um, what else? Oh yeah. Don't trust anyone ever. Interesting. Why do you say that? Um, people will still be your friends, but everyone's only in it for themselves, even duos. So, um, no one's, it's not like a big backstabbing rumor mill as much as people might think it's people are lovely, but, um, yeah, some, (laughs) some, some not so much. Um, you could, um, you could say that, uh, when, when opportunities do present themselves, everyone's just going to grab at it n- no matter what. And I'm not going to say, cause people don't run around trying to be two faced or whatever, but everyone's only in it for themselves. So like, and that's super true. I mean, it's hard. Let's say an opportunity presents itself and you like, I can't really think of anyone who will email a record label back and say, thanks for the opportunity, but I think my friend would be better suited for this. You know, right. like, yeah, yeah, I yeah. can't think of anyone who'd do that. I wouldn't do that. I'd want the fucking deal or whatever it is. I don't know. Um, and that's fine. I mean, that's how it works. You, you kind of have to do that. I mean, that, that's not just the music industry. That's life. It could be anything, any competitive industry, which is pretty much everything in existence. Um, so don't trust anyone. Just basically just go off actions. So when someone says to you, I love your work, you're going to be super famous, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to work with you. Also, I'm going to take 30%, whatever, 25%. <laughs> then, then that's super great. But just make sure that's management, by the way. Um, make, make sure that um, instead of hearing a lot of sentences, you just see a lot of walking, like a lot of actions. Mm. Um, so don't trust anyone ever. That, that's not say be against everyone that's like you know accept and be open and be like yeah yeah have the chats and have the meetings and have all that really cool stuff and get excited obviously like if you if you get a manager or a booking agent be super in their face and super energetic and pumped and and love what they say you know if someone says i'm going to tour you around love it like be super energetic about it um just don't 
count on everything. And when it does work out, you'll be like super thankful. Oh, great. We just did this amazing tour, blah, blah. Um, but if you put all your eggs into one basket and then, oh, this guy said he's going to tour me and then you don't take any other opportunities or you don't listen to anyone and then nothing happens, you'll just be sour. You'll just be like super disappointed and sour about it. And there's countless, countless examples of stories of people who've been done over by someone like that, you know, oh, of course. a less yeah. than honest person. And it's tragic. Mm-hmm. Whether it's as simple as not getting paid for a show you've done or, or even if it's like, a promoter who's like, um, and I'm not saying promoters are evil people, but there's just evil people in general where, um, Hey, sell tickets and I'll get you a really cool set. And then suddenly they don't have room for you and you've put all this effort in. Um, and you just think I'm going to get this huge opportunity where I'm playing a cool show with some really cool acts. And then suddenly you're at the front because you're letting people who are on your VIP list in and you don't even get to do anything. I mean, I know how that's happened to a few people and, I don't know. A lot of a lot of things are promised, but rarely are they followed through with. I think uh, I like what you said about just follow or look at actions because um, yeah. I think yeah. I think for the younger guys, especially, you know, I've I've known producers, you know, sixteen year olds and so on who I've I've been talking to some of them and they say, oh, I've got a contract from such and such such a label, like <laughs> a big label, like yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, genuine, but but they don't read the fine print. They don't recognize it's a three hundred and sixty <laughs> degree contract. Oh, so their yes. whole life is going to be taken over, you know. <laughs> that includes, yeah, that includes everything. bubbleheads and merch and everything. Yeah, everything. Um, and yeah. the and the excitement and the dream, for lack of a better term, kind of clouds there. Um, it makes them irrational. And oh yes, yeah, yes. yeah. You know what I mean? And oh yeah. So I think there's that, and I think there's also if it's not a big label that's reputable, like a spinning records. I was kind of referring to them. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, if it's not one of those, if it's someone else, I mean, you, you have to look at their history, what they've done. And I think also, um, yeah, just not, not be manipulated because yeah, words can, especially when you're young, like if you're young and you're listening to this and you get an email tomorrow about from a label you haven't heard of, and they tell you that they're going to like do all this for you. Look at what they've done and look at the contract and look at the fine print. If you have to give them money, stay away. <laughs> <laughs> give them money. Well, that's funny. Or if Happens. you have to give them years of your time or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Because lab- another thing about my comment of the industry's backwards is it used to be, <coughs> excuse me, used to be um, the labels were the dominating, I guess, um, puppet masters of the whole industry where they'd find someone with some kind of talent, no matter what it is, fix them up, make them, marketable, sell them, make the money, split it. Well, usually split it. And then happy days. That person's an act. The label's happy. Everyone is whatever. But now it's because of technology, which is great. You become something by yourself sitting in your room with YouTube or SoundCloud at your feet. Um, you do something, become a little bit established in some way. And then the labels come to you and they have their, interests at heart where they go what can we get out of him instead of the other way around Mm. so that happens a fair bit that's cool i mean yeah what you just said just be wary because don't trust anyone because they're only in it for themselves and the workload is so daunting that everyone wants to ease it as much as possible so they look for avenues to do so true and um have you seen examples of that 
Um, yeah, but no, not not such a negative way. I mean, who doesn't want to lighten the workload? Yeah, but, true. Um, collaboratively speaking, I have worked. See, like col- collaborations are a funny thing because there are so many going on, like millions and trillions going on right now that will never see the light of day. Huh. Like the actual end product will never happen. Um, whether it's just due to life, a lot of people, especially in different cities or states, like they'll definitely, yeah, let's work together, and they have their chat or send a couple projects. Collaboratively, collaboratively speaking, oh man, whatever. <laughs> it's a it's a bit of a word. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, people you know like i've i've had people who have hit me up to work together and then they'll say send me a finished project for me to to for me to like tinker with like i might add a fill oh, or whatever wow. and immediately i'm <laughs> i'm not interested yeah. so i mean that's super that's super normal and that's fine mm. that's just the next level of ghosting i guess just being lazy but i mean writing's hard production's difficult obviously yeah. So yeah. that's some example. It's not negative. It's just not something I'm personally yeah. interested in. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. And I think it's it's natural and smart to ease the <laughs> workload. Um, I was talking to, I'd been Booty Vocked, um, founder of Heroic. But one, one thing we both agreed on was if you're looking for a good manager or, you know, Maybe, maybe someone comes up to you and they're like, oh, I'll do your social media and so on and so on. If you haven't studied any of that stuff, if you haven't, haven't studied like what a manager does or like how to market on social media, you don't have to be an expert at it, but you need to yeah. know enough so that you can judge how good they are at it. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't know what a good manager is supposed to look like, how on earth can you distinguish between a good one and a bad one? Yeah, Absolutely. So the most successful artist-manager relations stories I've heard are when the manager is a friend or a close, like a best friend or a close um, acquaintance of that artist, and they take on management responsibilities with the artist. And they've um, and the not so successful stories I've heard are when it's a manager who has a very full plate and just sees an opportunity, and then they sort of get an act and sign it, and there's all hype for the first couple months. And then a very dry sort of attitude, very, um, I don't know, it's, it's like semi-professional, but like not not really, I, I haven't had any personal dramas really. I just, I've heard stories where it's, it's not like managers who aren't friends or with the artist or whatever are bad. They just, it's not really, a manager likes to go down the successful path no matter like what it is. So like managers usually have one or like more than one artist most of the time. And they're the ones. And I've met some super amazingly cool managers and they call it how it is. You know, I'm too busy for this. They're like super, super, super behind their artists and they got like three or four. So that's a full time life kind of job. That's huge. Cause, oh, and also you really have to distinguish the difference between a booking agent and a manager. For, for those who don't know, what is the difference? A booking agent's job is to literally take you as an artist and to get you shows and tours. And mm. a manager's job is everything else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's super hard, especially in Australia. Um, a manager is like, in my eyes, I, I look at band managers, like people who manage people like 30 Seconds to Mars or Slipknot. Or, I know they're ridiculously successful so that's hard to compare but um in my eyes a manager is supposed to be someone 
who actually thinks about you at least once a day and gets in contact with you and think and thinks okay so let's say you're working on this song called i don't know what's here orange cable there you go there's a song orange cable and they call you you know once a day or being like how can we get orange cable on the radio or do you want to do an interview or what do you like what are we doing for a video clip or all this stuff about building your brand so a manager is supposed to get as i think as much exposure for you and your brand as much as possible and does all of those cold emails and cold calls that are so important to start educating people on who your artist is and who you're trying to push. Um, Cause um, I think I was looking on, I can't even remember the name now, but some manager's website. And the only thing on the page was you'd be surprised at what happens when you can make a call, like a simple call. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's super cool. Like, cause a lot of managers just take calls instead of make calls. So, True. so if an artist is doing well themselves, become managed, and then the traffic that they've sort of created themselves, emails, calls, any kind of correspondence, the managers will pick up the phone and then this is where it gets de- delicate. They'll, they'll manage the incoming. They won't create the incoming, which is and then it gets really blurry because it just turns into shows. Like you're a DJ, you want to get DJ sets in clubs or events, right? So they'll be like, got you this show, I got you this show, I got you this show. And then you're like, cool, that's all agency work. What have you done management-wise? Oh, no, no, I got you this show, I got you this show. Like I got them. Cool, well, then you should be an agent. Like, that's, a, that's a conversation. And it's super delicate to say because <laughs> you don't want to, you know, start fights or riffs or, or have dramas in, internally. Yeah. Yeah, but an agent is literally like a manager can have opinions on songs. Can, but oh, man, it has to be tailored to the artist. Like, some every artist is different. Like, personally and professionally and and creatively. So, in my experience, as I said before, I am admittedly difficult to work with because I only do what I want, and I change my mind all the time because I can't sit still for a minute. So one day I might wake up and be like, today I like house music and fuck everything else, <laughs> um, which is not so good, but I do it. And um, and then like the next day I'll wake up and I'll only like classical music. I don't know. It's dumb. But um, depending on what I feel, I only do what I want. And I feel like a manager's job is to take what the artist does and do their best to get it as successful as possible mm. with while working in conjunction with that artist at all times. Mm. Not A manager shouldn't have a copy-paste plan for every artist that they've got. So if they've been successful with a, a project, that's definitely not going to be the same way as the next artist that comes along or the next project. It's going to be a different road. And a lot of people have had success with one thing and they go, okay, copy paste and then it doesn't work. And that's fine. I mean, everyone's different. Um, an agent takes whatever the artist has done, like a song, an EP, a, a video, whatever. And their job is to tell everyone who holds a club night or an event, my, my artist, I'm an agent, I'm representing this artist will be perfect for your club night or your event for this reason and then list it out that's what an agent does and they go okay this much money this time this travel done move on to the next instead of just wait for the phone to ring oh no one's really interested in your project this month so you show you've only got one show and then you go okay what have you done to create more because it's so saturated oh nothing okay cool well (laughs) 
and yeah that happens a lot and there's always talking man there's so much talking i did this 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 and this and you're like okay we are the results <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, I don't want to be too negative or like disheartening because there are good managers out there oh of course like millions and I met heaps of them they're awesome people who have done really well for their artists mm-hmm. and I, I've got heaps of manager friends um, on Facebook and I see all their stuff and they've got it's always those people who write things at 2am like Oh, what is it like working to the bone and just very motivational stuff i saw this one this one friend of mine she wrote a, a status that said what was that oh a manager does more than get soundcloud reposts oh how, <laughs> how crazy or something it was so funny and i was like that's so true i've always thought you know uh, a manager's prime responsibility because i read a book oh, i forgot what book it was but it was in the early probably in the 90s and it was Oh, it was Richard Branson's book actually about oh, how okay. he built like Virgin Records and stuff. But it seemed like the managers back then were very, very accommodating. And I could be wrong. Um, and and like their prime responsibility was to enable the artist to just spend all their time making music. Yeah. Because that was the most important thing. And if you think about it as a manager, if you're self-interested, like if your goal is to just make a ton of money, mm. that's what you should do because you mm. want to cultivate that. You want... Um, your artists to be the best artists they can be yeah absolutely for, for purposes for like longevity and so on and so on Ooh, yeah. I, th- I think there's a danger in just optimizing for you know playing lots of shows because that can happen for maybe two three years yeah but yeah. if the music kind of stagnates or becomes generic it, you know it's not a, it's not going to be a 15 year career no it fades yeah definitely well that that's that would be this is definitely not correct but um in some way you could say that there are two types of managers the ones who take what's already successful and just run that into the ground until it's done and then they shelve you and and they just sort of like well we had a good run you were super big with this but no one's interested anymore because it's been a year or two and then the other ones who work with you every step of the way to make that 10 15 year career instead of just making as much money off you for a little bit they'll work through the very quiet months as hard as possible and all that background stuff is happening so that you can have an explosive 10 or 15 years and then I guess die or whatever you do at the end. I don't know. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, I know, <laughs> I know some managers in like, you know, I've talked to them and, and one of them said to me, he talked, managers a fairly successful artist and, you know, he was telling me about how, what they're, focusing on at the moment is is getting like a business in place so that once the train is finished that artist can still have income coming oh, in wow. without having to play shows all the time which i that's think is crazy. amazing that's awesome yeah 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 that's sick i mean i know a lot of djs obviously and producers who don't have any idea what they're doing after this right so they're going to do this as long as possible and that scares the shit out of me because i definitely know that i'm not going to be some 35 year old guy at the victory hotel playing pub songs like so i don't do want, you- I, do you have a plan? Like, do you have do you have like a, a plan like that? A backup plan? Yeah, well, not a backup plan necessarily, but like, I don't want to be playing shows when I'm you know thirty five or forty. So this is what I'm going to do next. Um, or like a general sense. Yeah, yeah, I do, definitely do. I can. Um, I'm very lucky that my dad owns his own company in Italian entertainment, so his clients are convention centers and whatnot. Um, I I'm very lucky in the fact that I'd be able to work with him as a as a 
I'm not going to say old person, just an older person. I'm already old. <laughs> so I can, I can take, I, I have been working on and off with him for years. So I know all about his company and what he does. And, um, he, he has been so ridiculously supportive of me and my music career that he said, you know, you do whatever you want to do. If you want to come work for me, perfect. If you, and then he'll give me my own little section and like I could manage a few people or whatever. Um, or he's like, if you want to take the year off, just travel and play shows, do that. Like he's just amazing. Yeah. And the only person who's more supportive than my dad is my mum. She's she messages me every day about what's going on, wanting to be in the loop and how she can help and support and it's uh, I'm I'm it's so ridiculously lucky um that they said, you know, don't have a day job, just go and do your music. I um I do support myself, but they like financially, but they um they would drop of a hat if I ever needed anything, they'd do it. So, um, yeah, I kind of have a game plan and that's a weight off my shoulders. Um, I'll still be writing music forever. Um, I like to give lessons and tutor people and, and like, um, you know, I'm sure there'd be some kind of thing in that I could do if I set up a studio, maybe one day. Um, I'm super interested in scoring. I, I like writing music for, um, for film and TV. I don't have any projects. I just like doing it. So there might be a future in that where I could sit in a room all day writing action movie scenes or something one day. That'd be kind of cool. Um, I am fully concentrating on what I can do for the next two or three years with the Arcane Echo project. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very lucky in that I do have a, uh, an after plan an afterthought for, um, for this stuff. With such supportive parents, do you feel like a, because my parents are super supportive as well of what I do. And I've always felt like this drive or like this duty to work hard and do well because of that, if that makes sense. Like I don't want to- Oh, yeah. Yeah. Disappoint them. (laughs) Well, not even that, but like I don't want to, like I feel so (laughs) privileged and like I've been given this opportunity. I don't want to let that go to waste and just be complacent. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, of course, dude. They they inspire me to, I mean, they're supportive in their words and actions, but- in those words and actions, I've, I do have a responsibility to, so take this time that they've given me. They always gave me time, like to make, make, make the best of it and not just be comfortable. Um, I had, I admittedly binge watch TV series sometimes and (laughs) I might end up feeling a bit guilty after two days of watching something, but yeah, um, I definitely feel so lucky and appreciative and then put on myself, not even from them. I just put on myself a responsibility to do, try and make the most of this opportunity. Um, I don't know. I would never, it would never be disappointing. They'd support me no matter what, even if I never played a show again. Yeah. But, um, (coughs) excuse me, but, um, yeah, I, I put that on myself that such loving and giving parents, um, which is super important. Um, give me, you know, <laughs> give me support and love. So like, uh, I'm like ridiculously lucky in that sense. I'd say one of the luckiest because I also know firsthand how some parents, um, might not be so giving or, um, supportive and think, you know, you better, you better do well when you're 21 so that you can be well when you're 40. I mean, come on, things aren't like that anymore. I mean, it makes sense. You always got to be safe, but also I'm kind of one of those, um, 
not in a okay it's kind of cliche i'm kind of one of those just live in the moment kind of dudes so like i'm happy today i was happy yesterday and tomorrow will come we'll see <laughs> i mean i i know i know people not not in the scene at all who spent all their high school all their early 20s or teens and early 20s coming up we're all in the same sort of age bracket and all they did was spend all that time prepping for now and the and for their 30s and yeah yeah and I am not even close to envious of that because I have been doing me. I've been doing whatever I've been doing and I love almost every experience that I've got to do. Um, they're successful in their own way. They might have like a really cool job or maybe a couple of houses, a nice car setting up for whatever, thirties, forties, fifties. But man, they were boring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to pay out my friends, but I also am. I'm different to you in that sense. Like I, okay, I definitely yep. have a, but I agree with you and I'll explain why to, to some degree. Like I, I think about the future in the sense that like I make some sacrifices now um, so that, you know, I can, I can keep doing what I'm doing now in the future. Yeah. Yep. At the same time, I recognize that I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. And, yeah, that's, that's you know, what I think about. And, that, yeah. and so like, I think there has to be that element of um, you're doing what you enjoy. You're doing at least something you enjoy. Um, but at the same time, progressing towards something. See, you found a balance in that. Whereas I know people who have no balance and they mm. their joy is a a maybe a window of eight hours once a week on a weekend oh. where that's where they're like, I so right, what day is it? Is it Monday? Monday, yeah. Yeah. So right now, I can pick a handful of people who will be like, I can't wait for lunchtime on Saturday, right? Whereas I'm thinking about what I'm going to eat in like an hour and that's that's all my <laughs> thoughts are for the day. So like, and then they spend their Sunday in prep for the following week and and that's cool, man, because they, they get a salary, you know, they're super comfortable, a great job, not, not worried about bills or, I, I, I don't know, responsibilities because everything's kosher, everything's super great. But um. Oh man, I, I, I could not do that. I just couldn't do it. I, I couldn't, I don't even know how to explain how much I couldn't do that because I've been so lucky enough to not do that because it is super expected, isn't it? Like when you grow up, so what, what are you going to be when you grow up? You can't, you have to answer that. You can't not answer that. Otherwise you'll be getting benefits and then looked down upon as a citizen. <laughs> going back to the manager thing for just a moment, do you feel like some managers stifle creativity because you know i talked about how like it should be their prime responsibility ability responsibility to enable the artist to make music but i do feel like some managers just put restrictions on and like make bad decisions what are your thoughts totally man that is one of the biggest issues uh, money aside like money is always an issue for people but yeah, yeah. creativity is superly superly oh my god <laughs> super um it's another argument it's totally another argument okay it's 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 um it's like i said it's the people the managers who have had success in some way that think they've only got their their method of approaching mm, things mm. and might not be so open or as or even trained or, or and they're super adverse to anything different so like yeah the uh, I don't like paying people out, but 
I've had experiences where I'll be, I'll put a week's effort into something like some kind of song, some kind of video. Um, definitely like I've, I've had a video that I, me and my, um, my friend made and we loved every second of making it. And it was just a, it was like an introduction to a new song. So we put all this effort into production. We had car chases and like guns and tattooed people and gangsters. And it was so cool. And and all I got back was doesn't suit your brand. Wow. That was it. Really? Oh, I got a nah, man. Sorry. Nah, man. Doesn't suit your brand. And I was like, Oh, so so is, this, is this your current manager? No, no, no. I'm not actually managed at the moment. Oh, you're not, oh, you're not managed. Interesting. No, no, no. no. I, um, I had uh, a bunch of managers over the past few years, but at the moment I, I've just, um, I'm at the moment I'm flying solo. Probably because I'm so difficult to work with. Um, I haven't been fired at all. I just decided to, um, in a positive way with no dramas at all, just go my separate ways um, with a, a couple of people. I still have a booking agent, obviously, um, but that's, he's he's awesome and he's purely um for getting me shows and he's you know great to talk to about ideas but as far as management it's all me where um yeah this is years ago by the way this i made this video um and yeah he just goes no man doesn't suit your brand um and then didn't pick up a call for two days so like like yeah and i was he just saw what i like i was saying before he just saw the snapshot he saw a minute long video um, where we did something and he just pictured it like, okay, there's a little bit, it was a bit, I guess you could say gangster, whereas that's not really what I am at all. Um, there was a couple of guns and cars rocking up and looks like some kind of underbelly season trailer or something. Um, and he, um, that's all he said. And that was disheartening as hell. I know that was a video, but that, and it came across in music. Like I said, sometimes I wake up and I'm in the mood for something that's not heavy electronic music and I'll put it together and, um, it'll be the same thing. I remember once I go, fuck, I hope you never listen to this. I, um, I wrote this song and I, I like, I got this really cool, like orchestral pack for contact, which is a VST. And I, um, I, um, I was mucking around with all these violins and this whole orchestra, like this whole brass section. And I was adding all these cool sound effects and I was really into like panning all these sounds left and right and delays and all this really cool stuff. And I was like super excited about it. And I know that it had to be appropriate for an electronic music thing. Cause it was all orchestral. So I, um, I made a drop and, um, <coughs> I, you know, had the song ready to show him and I, um, I always explain myself before presenting something. So this is the mood I was in. This is why I did it, blah, blah, blah. And I said to him, oh, it's hard dance. Like this song is hard dance. So it's 140. It's um, four to the floor, like a big kick drum with some really big like lasery bass sounds. And that's after such an epic two and a half minute long intro, which is orchestral. So I explained that to him, right? And he's like, yeah, yeah, sweetie, that's kind of wait. Played it, finished the song. And the only thing he said to me was, oh, I thought it was going to go into like a dubstep thing. Would be better if it did that. So, and I just got really confused because I was like, man, I spent at least five minutes telling you exactly what was coming. Were you either not listening or just don't care? And then nothing happened with the song because I felt like I didn't want to do anything with it because I get super emotionally attached to my work. (laughs) 
and if she, I know that's lame to listen to everyone, I should just do whatever, but like, I don't really know anyone who's not attached to what they make. So it just sort of sat there and that that's happened a few times. So yeah, stifling creativity is definitely something that happens from between a manager and artist because they think one thing, but he's just a person, you know, like he's a, he's a dude with likes and dislikes. Um, and it's hard not to let that interject with what is professional. So as a professional manager, he should have maybe not been personal <laughs> and like, and spoken about how, okay, you've come up with this as an artist. Let's see what we can do with it. Let's see if we could perhaps, I don't know, sync it to a cool ad on TV or present it to, I don't know, some make some cool video where we get you on stage with an orchestra or like let's, you know, he takes what I create as the artist and do something with it, manage it. <laughs> At least be more like uh, w- with the video thing, that surprised me so much because I couldn't imagine, I don't know, like first of all, I, I feel like, from the start, you know, you and your manager should have been thinking about that together. How could we make a video that does this and this and this? How would it fit with your branding? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then yeah. simply responding like that, I, I just, man, <laughs> even if it wasn't a good fit, you know, like. Something could have happened at least. Yeah. yeah. Well, I kind of took the reins on the, um, I will cover his back a little bit on, on the, I took the reins on creating the video where I did tell him I was making it, but I also did say I'm just going to make it. So I didn't actually, yeah. Um, we've never actually worked on a video together. In fact, I, I started making um, those button pushing videos um, and he um, he loved them and then obviously they did well on the internet. Um, I mean, there was one time I did one, it's just a stupid one, um, like uh, that Rihanna song where no one can understand what she's saying. And um, I put that up and then I made another one because I was so excited. Like I was like, man, I'm getting some views and this is super inspiring. I made another one and I sent it to him just to have a look. He liked the video. He thought it was great. He liked the song, the little remix that I did, but he just said, just don't put it up. And it was a week later and I was like, can I ask why? And he's like, um, he had, you know, reasons about keeping hype and just elongating releases of stuff to, um, blah, 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 keep people interested or whatever. And then I was just like, oh, bro, like I don't want to wait a month. Can I? And I, I had to wait a month because of his personal decision not to post another video on my own site. And I was like, oh, that's kind of lame. So then I posted it and then I made another one and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to put it up as a, as a social experiment to between me and him. And I put it up a week later. It got the same amount of numbers, a lot of love. <laughs> and I was like, okay, sweet as like, like, and then I just started questioning, why am I listening to you? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> made no difference. If anything, I was able to create content and put it out a bit more frequently. So th- that's what I want to do. And then another song I made, which is hard trap. Like I was into it. I liked it. I played it in shows. He didn't like it. He said, we're not going to release this. I made another song, which was more, okay, well, less hectic, I guess. Still trap, but less less crazy. And I go, in order to release the hard trap song that I really like that I made and I love playing out, can I make it a B-side? Can I just chuck it as you know a shadow track? That's the only way I was able to convince him to release it because wow. he personally didn't like the tune. And he goes, you know, it doesn't, it's just noise. And I'm like, okay, well, there's a million people who think dubstep and trap is just noise, but there's also a million people who love noise. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love noise. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. I made it. And then as a joke, one time he came to one of my shows and sitting up on the balcony overlooking everyone 
I stop the music and I go, hey, everyone, i got this brand new song that my manager hates and doesn't want me to put out. But if you like it, can you just yell at him? And I pointed him out. <laughs> <laughs> and I played it and everyone liked, liked it. So they all yelling shit, but he left. So it was funny. <laughs> and then obviously we put it out and I was happy. But yeah, in answer to your question 12 minutes ago, yeah, I think sometimes managers can um, stifle creativity and that's definitely... It should be constructive, if at all, but not, not like, nah, man, don't do this, unless you're being stupid. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think uh, two questions actually? Because I, I didn't know you didn't have a manager. I just assumed you yeah. did because yeah, yeah. most people who come on the show do, like most artists. It's just yeah. normally the way it works. Um, yeah, for sure. Why? No. What have you found hard about not having a manager? If there's anything. Um, and do you think you'll have one again in the future? Um, absolutely. I will in the future. Um, because, because it is primarily, this whole industry is primarily about who, you know, um, full stop. I mean, you can be as talented as hell, but I said at the start of this thing that there are 4 billion amazing bedroom producers who are 10 billion times better than me, um, with zero recognition because they don't have any contacts. Um, so I will work with someone. I don't have anyone in mind and I haven't been approached or anything. So that's not, but I'm not really looking at the moment because I'm in the middle of, um, I guess I'm not, I'm, I'm, you could say rebranding, but not really. I'm just kind of in this real, um, new, uh, phase of my songwriting process where, as I explained before, I'm really into the orchestral side of things at the moment and I'm writing, these epic intros and like huge war drum kind of sounds like you could put like the stuff that I've been writing lately, you could put to some battle scene from any movie and it is would this, fit. Is this because you met Hans Zimmer? I saw a photo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, this was before meeting him, but he is amazing obviously. So mm. I, I love all that stuff. How did and that I happen super, by the way? That was a meet and greet package that I bought when he oh, was okay. Concert, so nice, nice. we're not friends or anything, but I'd love to, <laughs> love to say we're friends, not but yet. um, not yet. But um, yeah, we um, I just was very lucky to meet him after one of his shows because um, awesome. I paid for it, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was super cool though, like it was nice and everything. And um, yeah, it's inspiring. He obviously does specific scoring for spe- specific things, whereas I'm I'm just writing melodies and and mm. counter melodies and counter melodies and counter melodies, but I'm loving all this stuff, and so. My um, my small. F- I didn't even know I had Facebook open. Sorry. Um, <laughs> it's cool. Man. Sorry, seventeen. I'll get rid of that. Um, m- my small following kind of expects a um heavy esque kind of music from mm, me. Mm. Like, let's say I put a house track out today, I'd get a lot of backlash. So. Yeah. I didn't want a manager during this process. I don't want someone to try and guide me because I want to not necessarily put a middle finger up to anyone. I'm not like that. I just, mm. I, like I said, I only do what I want. So I have found inspiration in this new way of writing music for me where it's not just about the build up and it's not just about what kind of sound design I've put to a dubstep beat as a drop, which is kind of all that it is at the moment. Mm. I sit on SoundCloud or thousand and one and I'll just like, trawl through playlists and songs and I'm super uninspired with the dubstep and trap at the moment. And that's 
not because the production's bad or the artists are bad and whatever. It's just a personal thing where you do anything for a very long time, you'll start getting a bit over it. Of course, yeah. I mean, I say this all the time. When I tell people I'm going down a new road of production, they ask why. And I'll say, well, do you like, I don't know, anything, ice cream? They're like, yeah. I'm like, if you ate that every day for a month, you'd be so sick of it. You wouldn't want it for ages. He's like, yeah, true. And I've been doing hard dubstep and trap for um, three, in Christmas it'll be three years. So, but that's like every set, every DJ set, every single week. So, I mean, I still have a love for it. I still play it. I just have recently, um, and recently being the last six months, um, have found this love and excitement for purely orchestral, epic movie, cinematic music with hard dance drops, like like four four drops, and um, coming up with some way to integrate the two has been honestly is so riveting and so exciting for me, where I when I, I wrote this dubstep song and it was super against my, my grain, it was just some heavy dubstep song. And I remember sitting there thinking, going through sounds and like trying to like come up with some kind of idea and vocals and whatnot. I remember thinking, catching myself think like I'm doing this because it's expected. Yes. Yeah. Like when's the next, instead of when's the next song you're releasing, when's the next dubstep song you're releasing? And I was just like, I wasn't even interested. I actually finished the song, had it all mastered and everything. And it was sitting there and I came up with this idea to make a video and a couple of like a lyric video, maybe get some crowd footage and put it up. And then I thought, I don't even like it. Like, I mean, I can, I can appreciate the production value of the song, but I don't even like it. So I decided that I wasn't going to play it in any DJ sets. So what's the point? might get a couple of thousand plays. I might get like, hey, that was cool in a chat log from someone I don't know. And that's cool. But like, I don't like it. <laughs> so now it's just going to sit here on my computer until maybe I might like it in five years or I don't know, who knows. But I stopped and I just stopped and I was just like, not like I had a habit of going into Ableton. And the first thing I did was make the BPM 150. Right. Yeah. And that's a terrible habit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I was like, hang on, that's dumb. So I stopped like writing for a month because I was uninspired and I stopped trolling for music for a month. I was playing obviously. So shows are, my shows are very um, locked in. Like you kind of have to do that. And I'm currently, I only just got back yesterday from doing a run of four shows where everywhere I went, I was super expected to play a heavy set and all the messages I got before playing were like, can't wait till you drop the filth and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. So like I said, my small little following is, is very, and that's, it's, it's all fair, but it's very, they're they're expecting a very certain thing. And that's super fair because that's what I did. I spent years creating a brand that is heavy music and I love it, but I am, kind of in the middle of pivoting. So that's, <clears throat> I'm not, I'm not stretching too far away from heavy music. I'm still doing hard. That's just hard dance, but I'm just going to call it like a cinematic bass house or something. I don't know. <laughs> I just make, make up some kind of thing where I can explain that I only do what I like and this is what I like at the moment. So not necessarily fuck all y'all, but also fuck all y'all. <laughs> I don't know. Like I've, there's been times where I'm working on music and I find myself, like you said, kind of going through the motions and doing what you always do. Um, and you just, 
I don't know. Like you have certain ways of doing things as an artist. You might add a vocal loop whenever you do this or whatever. And then sometimes yeah. you're just sitting there and you're like, you know what? I'm this sounds this is crazy, but I'm gonna do this. It might be like put the snare yeah. over here or like use this instead yeah. of a snare or something like that. You I do really. it. And most of the time it doesn't work. Like it sounds like that. Um, <laughs> but then it does. And then it's like, oh, I did it. Like I did something new. Oh, I yeah. did something creative. And it's the best feeling. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly right. And that's what that's what I hit in the last six months where I got a new love for this orchestral stuff because it's not prevalent in the scene at the moment. You know, and I draw um I build up for me now consists of how many counter melodies I can chuck between a chord progression of six chords instead of four or something. Yeah. yeah. And and that's super exciting for me. Like super exciting. And I remember like sitting here, I'm just by myself in my little lounge room studio. And I'm like sitting here all giddy about it. Like, fuck that sounds <laughs> sick. And I can't wait to show people. It's not it's not ready yet, obviously, but I can't wait to show people. But um yeah, like, okay, and that goes all the way back to your first question, what is success? And that's that's success for me, like creating, like for such a long time I was writing songs that were, um, like I said, I just sit down and write songs all day long, um, all night long actually, I sleep all day. Um, <laughs> and I, um, I'd be almost like muscle memory, like, okay, well, it looks like the build-up's here, better grab it, double it, double it again, finish, and go. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and I was like, muscle memory, like, except for the obvious things like EQing, but creatively, yeah, um, it's almost like, I don't know, it's hard to explain. It's almost like um, I want to go against the grain, like, for the sake of going against the crowd, but then people only like what they're familiar with. Like, it's super hard to hear a new song, a new sound completely and just like it because the, the masses want what they know they're comfortable but i don't really care about that <laughs> i don't care about a lot of things i know it's so cynical and depressing i don't mean to make you depressed no 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 it's good man i i might sound a bit pretentious here but like i like the fact that you're going the cinematic route because to me a lot of the music that's coming out is very simple like in terms of composition um, oh yeah you know it's like sure. one four five chord progression um, real simple melody and when you get into like the cinematic stuff and you're looking at orchestral music it gets super freaking complicated like oh yeah oh yeah, yeah. as you know but it's so interesting and listening to it like, like that's why hand everyone likes Hans Zimmer you look at the composition though you look at why it invokes that emotional reaction to you know when you listen to it um and all the theory behind it is fascinating so I really like that let me see I know this is completely separate to whatever i'm just going to send you one of my ideas there you go
Oh, that is so good. <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to chuck that in the episode. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> even mixed or mastered, it's just an dude, idea. Dude, it's so you. good. You know, I really appreciate that. Thank you very much. But that, see, that's what I've been excited about. That's what I've been like crazy about because I hit these um, chord progressions and sounds like these horns and know, just shit. And I put it all together and I just get these like, because I love movies, man. I'm all about the cinema. Like I love getting immersed into a story and just setting up and for an hour or two, just, just losing a move, like myself into a movie. I love that. So I sit down and I'll picture what scene could go with the music as opposed to what is some sentence I can say before a drop? Like, oh, put your hands up. No, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, that's that's super what I'm really into at the moment. And if you heard a taste of it, then I hope you like it. If you don't, fine. <laughs> that's also fine. You can hate everything I do, and that's perfectly fine with me. Yeah, yeah. Do you? Because um, I'm sure, like a lot of people listening to this, you know, they just heard that. They just heard everything you just talked about. They're like, yeah, I want to be unique. You know, I want to. I want to make. <laughs> I want to make more original music. I'm sick of making, you know, 150 beat per minute wobble synth future bass. Um, yeah. Which is fine. Um, what advice would you give to them? Because it can be daunting. Like they don't know where to start. I was lucky. I came across this stuff just because of like, I, I was doing orchestral stuff um, for years. So I, I was lucky. Like, that's that's what I would consider the unique element being orchestral and bringing gluing the um, cinematic music to uh, electronic music and I'm doing the hard dance stuff I'm sure I could have made a dubstep drop or a trap drop but to me it doesn't complement I like I like the four to the floor stuff because and I like the heavy bass stuff as you as you just heard I, I, I feel it's percussive and I like that but I just came across it like it just sort of fell into my lap and that's how like creatively I just I was just like sitting down and I spent six months, as I said, mucking around and writing song after song after song. And I wrote 120 ideas and 120 of them were shit. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> they'll never see the light of day um, ever. But uh, I don't know. I just advice would be, again, just do what you love. And that's creatively. So what, what, what I always ask people, always, especially DJs, if you have a drive, let's say an hour-long drive, but you have to be by yourself, it's in the middle of the night, what do you put on to listen to? What music do you put on? Because this isn't you thinking about a career. This is you relaxing. Or this is you um, doing it purely for um, pleasure, right? Which is what the fuck music is supposed to be. So I ask people that question and a lot of the time I'll get an answer which has nothing to do with what they're doing in their music career. And um, I'm, I'm only talking about artists who write music as a full-time thing. So, you know, average um, people who don't, don't do music can listen to whatever and that's that's all they do. They listen to music for love. If they're working all day long, they'll put on their favorite stuff and they'll listen to it. And if that's dubstep, hell yeah. Like, that's sick. That's awesome. Um, but for music producers, I see I would listen to that orchestral stuff that I'm writing now and I would listen to that because I want to not trying to say I'm really good or whatever. I'm just saying my interests lie in that. And that's me being unique because I 
love it's it's almost unique to do what you love as opposed to what's required um but like i said before there's too many genres to count like did you just assume my genre is like not even a joke it's like totally prevalent (laughs) um hard to be unique man like uh, in saying like you just gave me a really lovely compliment you said it was unique but i i feel like i've just glued two things together really yeah yeah but i think that's that's what most innovations are surely like yeah if you think like because i look at skrillex and i think he combined dubstep with like the hard edge of metal music yeah totally you know he did like it's just two things I actually think that Skrillex is not from this planet. I don't think there is anything genius, he can do yeah. that is bad. He, <laughs> yeah, he is um, obviously an inspiration, but he's a he's a mogul. He's he, he's um. I don't know him. I don't know. We've never like traded stories or anything. But um, I just don't think there's anything he can do creatively that's bad. And he he did the same thing a, a while ago released that leaving ep i think it was where it was house music reasons are i don't know whatever i forgot what it was um it was like not typical um banging like skrillex dubstep stuff and um i guess well because he's at the top he can do what he wants and people will still love it but um i just had a f- I don't, like I said, I don't know. We've never traded stories, but I had a feeling that he just did what he wanted for a minute. You know, like he, he felt like that's what he wanted to do creatively for the, for the time being. And, um, and then he put it out and it was amazing. And then he did all that <coughs> Jack U stuff. I figured that's what he wanted. Like he only does what he wants, I believe. But you're right. He's, uh, I think he's untouchable as far as being a producer and a performer and creatively. Like he's just too far out of this world too good um yeah but um I, I don't even think i answered your question i don't know how to be unique because do you think do you think the um because because one thing i've always believed is the quantity over quality approach to learning the craft like the best oh, yeah, and, and sure. ira glass talks about this you know the uh npr guy um, oh, yeah. there's that famous quote about how there's this gap and like the taste is what gets you through it but your early work sucks and the only way to bridge that gap is to make a lot of work like but he says finish one story a week kind of thing. So finish one song a week. Um, yeah. Yeah. A lot of people take issue with that because they've always been told since birth pretty much that like yeah. you should focus on quality over quantity. And it's not that quantity over quality means you can't make quality music. It's just a faster way to learn. So do you agree with that? Yeah, there's, there's well, there's a difference in, there's a difference in writing a song for, learning purposes versus release purposes. There's a difference in writing a song for your brand, whatever that may be versus what you personally like for sure. Like, so you're absolutely right. You need, but it's like, yeah, you could like diversify that um, quantity. You could say, cause that's what I do. I write songs purely with the intent of learning a specific thing. Mm. So mm. I really want to work on, making my music sound wider. I'll write five or 10 tracks to get them as wide as possible so that when I write a song that I want to release, like the one I just showed you, I've just spent 10 tracks learning how to make my shit wide, you know? Mm. So like, and that's, that's quantity and none of it was quality. So you're right. I mean, so you, let's say like you're 50 tracks deep and your 51st track, that's going to be the one you release. 
that yeah, doesn't mean yeah. that doesn't mean that 50 tracks was a waste of time because they're not songs on your SoundCloud. That yeah. means you've just spent 50 tracks learning something and they're, they're, they're what the lessons are. Your, your lessons are writing. So like I, I, I'm in Ableton, I'm self-taught. I just yeah. YouTubed. In fact, Bill was my YouTube mm-hmm. guru for Ableton and I was very happy to become his friend. I, um, and I'm still learning, man. Like I'm six years deep or whatever it is and I'm still learning. Um, and that's, that's YouTube teaching me and, and forums and, and chatting to other people and sitting next to other producers and seeing what they do with EQs or, and stuff like that's, that's yeah. Like that's quantity over quality for man, sure. I've, I've had an epiphany. I've had two epiphanies in the last like 15 minutes. Okay. Hit me. So, so the first one was you're talking about, um, you know, you, you ask people, what do they listen to? Mm-hmm. Uh, when pleasure. for pleasure and you know that because I listen to a lot of jazz like I love jazz music um, nice, big band like smooth jazz anything oh big band that's where it's at so good and the the most enjoyable times when I've been producing is when I kind of go down that alley and like play around mm-hmm. some jazz stuff and yeah, I'm, I'm just Cab thinking Calloway. about it I'm like yeah like it's like just what if I did that all the time um, like you'd be as happy as can be tell you right and the second one was what you just talked about, like making songs as a way to learn something. And that is what I did, like probably for the first two years when I was learning to make music. Um, and I was making like one song a day, just like pumping them out. And I was learning so fast and I've stopped doing that. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Oh man. <laughs> like, you want to get in the studio, don't you? <laughs> dude, I, I just don't know how to explain it, but I, I feel like a lot of people, I don't think I'm alone at all. Oh, no, you know? not at all. Oh, man, like, I love that people, idea. Yeah, people just. Um, I saw this. Um, okay, I know he's a dick, but everyone loves or knows at least something about Kanye West, right? So yeah, 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 yeah. They'll know a lot of the people will just know the headlines where he does something crazy, like um, interruptive or, or a, a little bit aggressive. Yeah. yeah, but in saying that, he I saw something where he goes. Um, he wrote seven beats or seven ideas a day for I think it was three summers. Like so, every summer. Yeah, he worked. He worked all year, and then when it came to summer, which is the three or four month period, he just just wrote beats and he made made himself six or seven tunes a day. Yeah, that is just and insane. Obviously, that's hundreds and you know, maybe thousands of tracks, but and he didn't release at all as many as he wrote. But um, or he was selling them at the time. I don't know. I don't know really too much about that, but I just know that he made himself do that, and that is nothing but learning. That is nothing but an education in in everything to do with production right mm-hmm. so like you're you're right in in just mixing finding a balance between what you love i mean what mini the moocher is actually one of my favorite songs not in jazz but just in life like mini the moocher is from blues brothers yep. it's just yep. like <laughs> it's just so you could say swaggy like i feel like yeah, i should yeah. buy a pinstripe suit and a tommy gun and just walk around <laughs> And pretend I'm gangster for four minutes, but like like old school gangster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that'd be so cool. But I don't know. Imagine integrating your love for jazz with what you do as an electronic music producer. You'll have this huge smile on your face, like I do, writing epic cinema stuff. So, and then then you'd stand up and you'd be like, I'm unique. You know, I'm doing something that I love and it's created this unique <coughs> sound. Sorry. And then write fifty of them a month. And only one's good enough to release, but you've learned so much about 
the key, the, the best key for your trumpet to sound real, I don't know, brassy, like really aggressive. And then you're like, I came across that technique about three tracks ago. I know what I'm doing. And then when you put in your effort for the song that you want to like put all your effort into and release and show the world, Hey, I just made this. They're not going to know about the 50 you've made, but all the best parts of the 50 that you've made have gone into one. And it's suddenly this amazing track. And I learned that, you know, like two, that little, I I came across that two years ago when I was in, actually I was in New York. Um, I I wasn't touring anything. I was just on a holiday and, um, I was, I was lucky enough to, um, I thought I'm going to grind a little bit. So I emailed a bunch of record labels from, from the New York precinct. I was staying right near, um, Times Square. (coughs) And, um, one got back to me and goes, he goes, this is from a guy from, um, Uprise, Uprise Records. Okay. Um, He, um, he wrote back to me, he goes, man, if nothing, I just appreciate your grind. Like you're from Australia and I appreciate you hustling while you're here. I was only there for a week and a bit come in and have a chat. And I, I, as a producer, wasn't at the level to be signed to that record label. Well, that's fine. But it was just purely a conversation and it was super inspiring to me to be like, cause I showed him a couple ideas and I've progressed over the last two years as a producer. And, um, yeah, then it kind of hit me after that little chat with him. I was actually about two hours, which is what we're at. That's dope. Um, he, um, yeah, he was like, just, just like, just work, man. Just like work. <laughs> Don't do what's expected. Do what you love and just work. And I, I kind of just sat down just like a couple of blocks away from like Times Square and, and that, I don't know, I just, it was like, I was in New York and I was super inspired and I just kind of learned what I just said, which was, I, I wrote, I think like 10 tracks that week in New York. None of them were good, but I learned, I learned shit. So well, they're not good in my eyes. Like I still write tracks that I think are shit and my friends say put them out, but. It's, uh, it's interesting. Going back to the quantity thing, like I was reading a book called um, Originals by Adam Grant. Yep. Yep. And he talks all about these people in certain fields who excel and, and produce like highly creative work or gain insights. Yep. And he was talking about like Mozart and Beethoven and, you know, all these classical musicians that we all know. Mozart produced 600 pieces of work, like released 600 pieces of work. Yeah. You know? And he yep. died, I don't know if it was Mozart or Beethoven, he died at like 35 years old. Like, yeah. he did not live yeah. a long life. Um, okay. Which just is insane. And only six of his pieces were in like the top 50 London Philharmonic Orchestra, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Mm, wow. Which is like a 1% success rate, right? Wow. Of works released. Yeah, I find that least. super inspiring and kind of like, terrifying but yeah <laughs> well they, they didn't have facebook so they had nothing else to do no i'm kidding um, <laughs> they um i can't even imagine like you listen to classical music like that like i'm, a, I'm i was learning rack pieces when i was doing piano like Rachmaninoff, mm-hmm. and i just sit there like after spending a whole hour or whatever like learning how to glue my left and right hand together for just like four bars just yeah just that like what is that eight seconds not even of music yeah, yeah. And, and like that takes one hour and then i still get it wrong and i have to read the sheet music like i can't even and they they think of these things in their head write it down with a pen that probably doesn't even work and like have to perform it it was all religious and shit back then so they had to do all that but like oh man 
there's no, there's nothing like that anymore, right? There's, if it is, it's, it's almost laughable. Like yeah, what, I, what yeah, picture producers do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm absolutely the same as you. I'm blown away at, at that, like the statistics and all or what they did. And you think it's superhuman. It, mm. it almost would be. I mean, they're ridiculously and terribly classically trained from the age of zero. So there's that. There's the whole – that's the life. Um, <laughs> but you're right. I mean, 10 or 12 hours a day of just harpsichord or piano or writing – if you didn't release 600 songs, but in saying that they're the pinnacle of classical music. So yeah, yeah, you're right. There's nothing like that anymore. So you guess the equivalent would be what I said in writing as much as you can and releasing only the good stuff. What you said, having quantity, but they're just, they're just lessons. Like it's just about learning. Mm. It's not less it's not like I've written 120 tracks that I want to release. I've only released two this year already. So like you- <laughs> people yeah, I'm people curious. Say, yeah, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Well, I don't know. People would say you've only released two tracks this year. I'm lazy. Mm. Like, like, and yes, that's fully, just in the snapshot again. Yeah, it's understandable because I've only released two things, and one of them wasn't even good. <laughs> so, um, I, I always go against my own music. I guess it's because I've listened to it too much. Yeah, I think but, that's that's what we call being an artist. <laughs> fair. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. So. Uh, my actual goal is to release a lot more music over the coming, I guess, two years or whatever, whatever I got left in me. How long would you spend on average on a song then? Like, do, do you, so you're making, I don't know, like one out of every 50 songs you think is good enough, let's say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is it you get to number 50 and you make it in like four hours and you're like, this is sick? Or is it like... You, you've made 49 songs. You're like, okay, I know enough now to like put together something awesome, which is going to take me three weeks to make. Okay. Well, there's no actual specific method to what I do. So I, I was just rounding numbers to like- Oh, yeah, yeah, same. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. So that one I showed you before, that Anthem one, um, that took me a total, uh, I slept in and then I watched videos for like an hour and then I got- I think I saw a trailer for some movie. I forgot which one it was. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'm inspired today. And then my roommate got back from work. So that's coming up to about five hours. That one took me five hours. Really? Yeah. Because this is, this is what happens for me. I'm so impatient that if I'm writing something and I'm not making actual groundbreaking like movement on a song, like getting somewhere with it really fast, like two hours, I will, I'll save it, but I'll almost 90% of the time never come back to it because I feel like it wasn't at all good enough to even, like I, the other day I remember I spent four hours on just vocals. I, I wrote a couple of lyrics, they just rhymed, so I thought, fuck it, I'll record it. I did 10 um, takes for the left and 10 for the right. I chucked 10 different effects on all 20 channels um, for each for left and right. Made this whole thing. At the end of it, I, I and then I stepped away from the computer for about half an hour, came back, hit play, and I went, fuck that. Control, delete. Like, it was just disgusting. So I was like, it, it, it changes all the time, but I'm super, super fast. And that's just because I annoy myself. So, like, if I'm not, if I'm writing something, I'm like, nah, that sounds terrible. See you later. Um, file save, never come back to it. But um, 
yeah, I, I, I work, I work fast only because I'm so impatient. And then, so that Anthem one that I showed before, it's not actually finished because, um, I haven't actually gone back in and started tidying it up. Mm. So I've spent one afternoon on it. So like five hours, maybe six, um, because then everyone came over and we started partying. <laughs> um, I have to now go back in and maybe do another two days or so, or like two afternoons, sorry. So another five or six hours each day to then tidy it up and then get it to the point where I want it to um, get sent off for engineering. Um, and then, and then yeah, then I'll make a game plan. But I, I do things in a day or two and that's that's finished for me. And the song's never finished, as you well know, but yeah, that's, that's it for me. So like I can't. I can't spend weeks on a song. I can't spend, I can't do that. I then I just don't like it. <laughs> like paper, my, my last song that I had put out besides this, the little bad and bougie flip was this paper trail song. Paper trails took me, um, three hours because the vocal wasn't mine. I took that off splice. Um, so that was a vocal sample that I just wrote the music around and it took me three hours, like completely finished. Cause I wrote, I, well, I wasn't, I wrote that song because I just got a brand new horns, um, plugin brass section and I just wanted to do harmonies for the horns. That's the only reason I got it. Like wrote paper jars at all. Cause the beats, nothing amazing. It's just drums. That is a very expected drum pattern. There's a couple of fills in there that I did on machine because I like to do it live in time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the horns, I just put all my energy into those horns to make them sound gritty and heavy and cool and trappy. <coughs> and then, yeah, it was, it was like, well, this came together. All right, let's chuck it out. And we did. So like, yeah, I, I just work fast because I just uh, annoy myself if I don't. <laughs> I think it, I think it's really beneficial to work fast and I think more people could benefit from it. What, what tips would you give to people who are like, yeah, I want to work faster. Like I want to, you know, I feel like I work slowly. It's almost like it's all. Yes. Well, it depends what you're working on. Like if I want to learn how to design a um, sound, it's going to take me a day just to not even have a song. It's just one sound like um, I did for the skeleton song or, or whatever. But <coughs> I um the tip for being able to work faster, unfortunately, is to <laughs> spend more time practicing working faster. And I know it's so cliche and lame, but like if you did eight hours a day of anything, if you're not a professional in a year, then you've done something wrong. Like anything, like you hear any success story for anything, like the guys who play tennis, they've been playing forever, literally forever. And then the, the general public sees them win some huge grand slam. They get a million dollars. Oh, like they must be a freak. No, they've put the hours in. Yeah. Yeah. Cause no one puts hours in for anything. Like if, if they don't have Especially a hobby. 2017. Yeah. Right. Like everything's fast and no one has an attention span longer than anything. That's why DJ sets have gotten progressively faster and no one does a fucking breakdown anymore. Um, yeah, I, for a while there, I was writing songs that didn't have an intro, didn't have a breakdown. I wrote two build-ups and two drops and released it, and the whole song was two minutes 30. Wow. Because I thought, fuck, that's expected. Like, that's what I need to do. Yeah, yeah. And I still don't even play the whole song out because it's too long in my eyes. Um, so, like, 
just work, man. I mean, yeah. not, 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 not you, well, everyone just, just work. Like, yeah, I think that's the right answer. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just the hours you put in. If you put in hours of anything, you'll be good. And if you want to be a producer, like don't watch TV for eight hours a day when you get home from work. Why don't you sit in front of YouTube tutorials on whatever you want? And I get so inspired when I see people who just put all this time and energy into hobbies and they get, you can watch how they progress. You can see, I, I got a friend who's a graphic designer and a videographer and the first videos were, you know, okay, cool. You, do, you know, you're doing this. And then six months later, his stuff was epic and cinematic. And that's because he gets home from work and sits on his computer learning and practicing practice, practice, practice. And I learned that because of my piano lessons every day. I had to play piano for an hour after school, which was annoying as hell. And I wanted to quit, but she, ne- my mom never let me quit. You built up that so, work ethic, intelligence. Yeah. I'm not intelligent, but definitely a work ethic. Oh, diligence. <laughs> oh, I thought you said intelligence. Oh yeah. He's something um, intelligent to me. No, no, no. I just, I'm just, I just, I'm just practiced. That's all it is. I, I just have hours behind me. That's all it is. Time and time and time. And, um, it's, you have to be passionate about it, dude. Like the, the, the excitement I heard in your voice when you mentioned your epiphany with, um, wanting to do jazz and how you love it. I mean, I heard excitement in your voice and I kind of thought you'd want to hang up the phone and go sit in the studio. And do it. <laughs> if you're not passionate about what you do, like people just see the big DJs and go, like if you just look at the DJs that you love and go, I want free drinks. I want attention from girls. I want 2000 likes on a post. I want, um, I want a crowd to chant my name. I'm like, okay, then you're going to be a, a certain type of DJ where you're not original. You're very, you're copying and that's nothing wrong with that because that's what they want. But if you want to learn how to write a bass line in conjunction with a drum beat, in conjunction with a melody, with a sound no one's ever using, then you're a producer and it's going to take you hours and hours and hours and hours every single night. Like I said, I'm so I'm 27, I'm well old, but I put six years, not, not just DJing, but like into just electronic music production. And I've never taken a, a break, if if not for like a month. Where I, and that, that's not saying that I'm not writing. I still open Ableton a minimum of three or four times a week to to work on something for hours. But um, a break would be like not writing something I intend on releasing. A break would be experimenting, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so hours, man. <laughs> hours. Hundred percent. I think a lot of people. There's two things actually that come to mind. A lot of people are looking for a silver bullet. <laughs> Doesn't exist, man. Exactly. Exactly. But they do. And I think, you know, a technique is going to like bring them success, which is not true in any, in any field, actually, not just music production. Yeah. Um, like if you're starting a business, there's no, there's no single tactic that's going to like make it profitable straight away or like, you know, it's, it's silly. Um, the other thing is, is what was it? Completely lost my train of thought. Well, going off what you said, where, where, um, when you see someone, right, when I come across a new artist that I've never heard of before, but they have like, let's say a huge following or whatnot, or those other people who seemingly get a lot of success in a very short amount of time is um, exactly that picture you may have seen floating around where you see an iceberg and you see the top of it, right? 
and the top of the iceberg looks like this tiny piece of ice just sitting out the front and people say you know on top of the water sorry it's just this tiny point and it might be yay big x amount x size or whatever and that can be measured as your success and then what you do is you look underwater and you see this country-sized huge iceberg right which is massive and you can call that your work and it's all in the dark no one sees it right it's underwater no one sees effort and hours and practice and stuff so you see an iceberg right you see the tip you can see the success but you have no idea what's underneath and what's behind it and that's exactly true that is the only way unless you're a meme which is which is a like (laughs) (laughs) no i mean that like that that girl that kid on some talk show who said um that cash me outside girl yeah yeah she was as a living and breathing meme that yeah. won't die for a very long time and her, just which, is, her, which i find unfortunate actually I'm, I'm so sick of that yeah well her guest appearances make her money so she arrives at a place and because of the internet society she gets paid um her money to be in videos and go to places she's too young to go clubbing yet i'm pretty sure she does i don't really know much about it i just see things online and um that that would be your your bullet to success, but then that's how you have to really reflect on your measurement of success. I mean, yeah. do you want to be a I meme? Mean, do you want to be known yeah. as a meme? I'm sure she does. I'm sure she's loving every dollar she's got and every a bit of attention. But I, I I don't follow it. But every now and again, you'll come across some kind of issue with a person like that, where they're fighting with another meme or they're fighting with another celebrity. Celebrity, huh? Well known person. <laughs> I mean, I just couldn't imagine the pressure. Like, I'm not at all famous. I promise you, I'm not famous. I don't, I don't have any kind of any dramas there or or whatever. I have a tiny following who are interested in ten seconds of what I do, and that's about it. And I'm super happy with that. I don't think I could ever handle being someone who's super well known because. Did, did you have a taste of it then? Like, because because you seem pretty confident in that. Like, you couldn't you couldn't handle it. Like, did you kind of see? It's like so. If I, if I get recognized, it will be at a, an event that I'm playing, right? So, um, okay, like I've been advertised and I, I, <laughs> I'm stupid enough to have face tattoos, so I'm kind of recognizable um, in, in that sense. Um, <clears throat> um, I, 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 I've never tasted what people call fame because I am not at all famous i having numbers on facebook does not mean fame honestly it doesn't um it just means that you have created a platform in which more people can view the end result of your hard work for a minute so having a facebook with a couple thousand people who are so everyone goes on facebook every day and they swipe and swipe and swipe scroll and scroll and scroll and if you're lucky if your post is lucky enough to come up and you can grab their attention for like a second that's all i've got and that alone has affected me in a way where i would know that if i was to become a pop star or a famous person i would hate it so the taste in being music is my vulnerability is my my tiny remix videos or original videos or whatever um, uh, me as a person because that sounds so cliche and lame but I put effort into something and I put it up and then it gets shut down by people who don't at all know me and of course they don't know me I mean I don't advertise my 
actual Facebook is not even, I think it has like three posts on it and no information about me. So like nothing. So I don't really advertise the actual Josh who sits down and writes music and has chats like this. I rarely do. But, um, yeah, a taste would be having complete strangers either love or hate what you do. And that's enough for me. And I know how much people want fame and love all that sort of stuff. But like, I'm very family orientated. I love my friends, my small, small group of friends and my family. And like, I live in Brisbane. I've been all over the country and I've been kind of around. I've only been to the States and then New Zealand, but I haven't done um anywhere else. But I know for a fact that I think I, I, I know, sorry, that I will live here. I love Brisbane. I love my family. I love my friends. I don't want to, I might, you know, do a six months you know, in another place for like experience maybe or work. Make, I've got plans to live in New York for like six months maybe or LA just, just for the experience, hang out with some cool people, do some cool shows. But um, as far as settling down and living, like I love Brisbane. I was born and raised here and I just love it. And I love all my family and friends and I, I don't have any chase or desire, like the want to chase or desire for fame because that's a pressure, man. Like absolutely and entirely fuck that. It's just not, it's just not me as a person. I'm so glad you said all that. And I hope that a lot of people listen to this interview because um, like I've, I get emails every day, not, not specific, not necessarily emails like this, but often um, from people who are, Most of the time, they're between fourteen and twenty-one. Sometimes they're older. I've I've had an email from someone who was like, you know, mid middle age. He had a family, and he was like talking about how he wanted to become the next Martin Garrix. I'm like, dude, you have responsibilities. Like, oh, don't wow, do yeah. anything stupid. Um, yeah, yeah. But a lot of these, the young guys especially, they they see this as like the golden ticket to living a happy life. Um, the six, like the Martin Garrix, they they actually use him like that that's who they want to be and they say it like yeah <laughs> how i'm not even kidding like how how can you teach me to become the next Martin Garrix. i'm not kidding oh. i've had multiple emails that like say exactly that or like what's the best way one person said how can i do it in six months and i just i didn't respond obviously um, it's almost an impossible question it is it is uh but yeah i feel like a lot of people are looking at this and they don't um, they don't recognize the the darks or not dark side. That makes it sound a little bit. Well, I suppose it is a dark side, or like the hard part of it, or like, am I actually suited for this? Do I actually want oh, this? Yeah. You know? Yeah, because it's not. So you, it all comes back to what we were talking about before. It's the snapshot. So people see one second of an hour long um, conversation or whatever, or one song out of the fifty that we've written or whatever. You don't. Uh, well, I'm I'm just talking from a personal point of view because I am me and I only know what I want. I don't know what anyone else wants. Being suited to it is very um, uh, very much an issue that you need to um, discover, as you well know, not in the music industry but in, in, I guess, Hollywood or in the limelight. It's fickle and... Um, Must play with uh, your mind. Yeah, like um, I actually recently watched a documentary on Heath Ledger. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, I only know as much as I've seen in the documentary. So I, can, I can't recommend it highly enough. It was amazing. He had an uncomparable love and passion for acting mm. where he left Perth in Australia, 
um, all the way to LA and he goes to all of his friends, I want fame, I want fame, I want fortune, I want fortune. He got it and hated it. And I can't speak to that because I have a did tiny- he, Did he talk about nothing. why he hated it? Oh, he wasn't talking in the interview. I mean, the documentary. He oh, was just was, footage. Oh, yeah. Okay. They didn't have any footage of that. He was just, it was his friends and family. Um, um, he wanted it because that's, I, I think it's the dream. I mean, I, if, if you go up to anyone on the street today, like just go down to the main city and go, hi, I'm a manager. And I, if you just made some bullshit up, right, I could make you a model where you're on the front cover of whatever, or I could make you Martin Garrix in six months. Depending on like in that specific age bracket you were talking about, I don't know, many people that would say no, right? Mm -hmm. So is it not a dream or an aspiration whether people are working towards it or not? If it was offered, people would jump on it. Mm -hmm. And they see nice cars or money or places traveling. I mean, traveling's cool, but to be honest with you, it takes the life out of me, dude. Like travel, traveling, and I'm such a home oriented kind of person. I love being at home more than anything. And like traveling for me takes it out of me, dude. Like, okay, again, I'm not taking it for granted. I love what I do. I get to discover cool places, meet awesome people. I do not want to sound like uh, the Grinch, but he's been honest. It's I'm just being honest, and I've been doing it for four years straight of just going like to places and playing shows. Some huge, some not so big, but I don't really care about the size of shows. I just care about the people and what I'm doing. Um, yeah, I think okay, I think people just want. Oh, it's hard to say. It's, I don't know. I don't know what people want, but I think people want what Martin, like I met Martin Garrix one time and it was, he was about to walk on stage for a huge show in front of a huge crowd. And he had brought his very best friend on tour with him. And he said, if it, he said to me that if it wasn't for his friend being there, he could not handle it. Wow. Yeah. He goes, I don't want to be here right now. I just want to go home. Wow. But then again, Martin Garrix is at the top, right? Like he's he's one of Scooter Braun's yeah, artists yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And well, there, there's your answer to your email. If anyone responds, asks you that, you can respond with get Scooter Braun. Don't, don't talk to me. Because, <laughs> um, yeah. But um, I don't know, man. Like you, you, ha- you can't know if you want it or not because you don't have it. I, I think there's a, I don't know, like, do you know, are you familiar with the term, I think it's hedonic adaptation or like hedonistic adaptation? I am not. I don't well, know. Well, essentially it's like how the human brain works when, so we like, we, we need new experiences. That's what we chase after, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so you buy a new car and you you feel awesome for a couple of weeks maybe, or you buy like up. a really nice house and you, it might last for two years. And yeah. I think there's this thing with fame as well. Like perhaps for the first two or three years, like it's amazing. And you're like, this is, mm. this is it. And yeah. then if you're not passionate about music, like if you're not passionate about music, it might still be really enjoyable. Mm. But then once you pass that mark where it becomes normal, like it becomes the new normal yeah. and you're not passionate about music, you are screwed. Like fundamentally <laughs> you just yeah, start like psychologically, you will not enjoy it. And that's more important than having X amount of dollars or, 
or um, people taking your photo when you go to the shops. I how mean, many how many multi multi millionaires billionaires have committed suicide? <laughs> I know it's a lot, but I also don't know the number. Yeah, um, no, I don't need do I. But like they, I, they are, they do exist, or they don't anymore. But you know what I mean. And the people who do pass away, and they seemingly have everything. Like you think, oh, you know, what a crazy thing! You're on top of the world, and or even not not necessarily people who pass away, but just people who compl- who are at the top and complain. Complain. And, and you go, oh, you know, what are you kidding? Like, p- people call me terribly cynical and ag- aggro because I will complain while on tour. And then that's the person who's not on tour. Or, or you have people who want your photo and stuff. And I'll, I'm, I promise you I'm always nice and I'm always, like, giving to um, the people who want to give time and energy to me. But in the same boat, I've <laughs> – I, I took my friend on to a show and he is, you know, twice my size, like twice my height. Um, not, not at all tattooed at all. Very different looking. Like he is a, the opposite to me as a human being. This girl walked into the back area and saw a poster, right? And she wanted a photo with Arcane Echo, right? And I, and I leant into her and I said, he's sitting right there. And I pointed at my friend. And she goes, no way. Can I ask him for a photo? So I straight away ended up laughing. I just thought it was so funny because she believed me. And then my friend took a photo with her and blah, blah. And I was just like, okay, so, so, okay. If someone wants a photo with, with Arcane Echo, they want, what, what do they want the photo for? Like, are they, she had no idea, like zero idea. So I'm assuming, I don't know who this person is, but I'm assuming she put something up on the internet, a photo. Oh my God, hanging out with AE. Like, cool. Like, look at me for a minute. I'm really cool because I'm hanging out backstage of a show. And we had a good laugh about it because it's just a joke, right? But like, I, that's what I mean in saying that I am not at all famous. I'm, I'm lucky enough to play around and like, and have music um, on the internet, but who can't, um, as far as like, so I think there's a huge difference between the words fans and followers. I find it so mortifyingly embarrassing when I see very mid tier DJs say, um, just a message to my fans. I'm like, you can, I'm like, sorry, bro, you can get absolutely fucked. You don't have fans. You fucking idiot. A fan is someone who lines up for two days without sleep to get a ticket to, to watch Justin Bieber. That is a fan, right? A follower likes a page moves on you know, people have followers. Like I have a couple of followers and I'm very, very fortunate that people are interested, but that's it. Fame and, and, and fans are for superstars for a reason, you know, like those people who buy country, um, wide plane tickets to go to every concert of a touring band. That's I a also, fan. I also don't know if that's healthy. It might not be healthy. No, but, <laughs> but yeah. Or, or an actor like people, the actors have fans because those actors, can and do change people's lives oh yeah yeah of course yeah like I, i'm a fan of cory taylor like a fan of him and so slipknot and, and stone sour because i would listen to his voice scream into my ears from headphones almost every night throughout high school to go to sleep and his songs his words his performance i was a fan like not just a follower like a fan and i've got and i'm a follower of a lot of electronic music you know people and whatnot um <coughs> there's a huge difference and i see these so mid-tier djs who don't even release original music they just don't there might be i don't know i don't know why people have a following because i guess bots exist and stuff but people can be like instagram famous and i think that's disgusting 
but why? it's a thing. I think you should, if you have, if you have actual fans, you need to, the prerequisite is that you have contributed to their life in some way more than just you're hot, you know, like there's models and stuff and they're obviously models for a reason. And if you're an Instagram model, that's different because the whole thing is looks right. And you sell what underwear, I don't know, whatever. But if you have, or if you're a comedian, right? So my very good friend Frenchie, he's a comedian. Oh yeah, for yeah, a, I know. Yeah, yeah. Bit of them. yeah. He impacts people's lives and has fans because he's funny as hell, and people repeat his jokes and like he's made an impact, right? And then you've got mid-tier DJs who play generic sets that aren't original at all, written by other people, written by actual producers like Martin Garrix or whoever, and. They'll say shout out to my fans, and they'll they'll ask for the craziest riders. I've heard some crazy stories about riders. They'll have diva hissy fits. Like these are guys, and and it's undeserving and un, un unwarranted, really. And I'm not obviously going to mention any names, but they know who they are. No, um, I know that's just not my thing, dude. Like I I do this purely for the passion, and I'm lucky enough to make a little bit of money. Cause dude, I'm definitely not loaded. I just make enough money to live mm-hmm. like, and not have a job. So I'm not in any debt. I'm not behind in any bills, but I'm definitely not soaring around in a Lambo with like, you know, I can't open at the casino or something. That's not, <laughs> but if I was, then if I was trying to do that, I'd play commercial music and do remix of just whatever's in the charts. Like, if I wanted to do that, I'd be commercial as hell and then charge too much money. But I'm doing what I love. And that's that's a rule that I've got to tell. If anyone's listening and like I'm up and coming, right? And my my their Instagram says I'm an up and coming DJ producer. Then and that's cool, man. Like I said that in my MySpace days. I um just do what you want. Please, 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 just do what you want and know what you want. You know, if you get, if you listen to music and you're told what's number one and you go, it's sick, like, cause it's number one, <laughs> fuck it's not. No, it's not. I don't know. It's super hard. And I don't, I don't really have these conversations very often as you probably can tell, but, um, you know, I, I think it's the whole, you know, what you want thing for me. That, yeah. Just go ahead, man. I was just saying what, you know, what you want, that changes, what you want can change. And that's, that's perfectly fine as well. So go with the flow. You know, when I was 18, starting uh, EDM Prod, the podcast started a bit later. My whole thing, like I wanted to do that. I wanted to be famous and like tour the world. And I, I loved music. Like that was it. But like, yep. of course, you know, very quickly, and I'm so fortunate and so grateful for this, but very quickly um, I went back on that because family like I, I want to have a family i want to have kids i don't want to be playing a hundred shows per year like being away for so long like i don't want to do that yeah that yeah, is yeah. not my idea of like a good life and that's just for no. me like i'm not saying that's you know the golden standard but mm-hmm. and so i was like well i'm not going to do that and like i'm not going to work towards that i'll make music but i'm not going to work towards that and man if i had not recognized that and i'd gone ahead and then got to like I don't know, five years from now, 26, whatever. You'd be depressed. I would be depressed. 100%. Oh, fully. I feel that, man. If I don't come home every week after a weekend of shows and like recalibrate, then 
I'd be depressed. And I know right. people who are. I know, like, I have many, many friends, and we've had long hours and hours of conversations because they're lonely, they're depressed, and these are people who are touring the world. And the whole, what is, it's like a rigmarole. It's like you, you go to a new city and you've got all the people who ask the same 10 questions. What's coming up? How'd you get into where you are? Blah, blah, blah. And that's, that's perfect. That's perfectly fine. That's how, that's, that comes with the territory. And you have to be nice because these people look forward to meeting you and you can't take that away from them. I mean, I can't tell you how heartbreaking it is when you look forward to meeting someone and they're just not cool. <laughs> And that's totally disheartening. I haven't really experienced that too much because people are very nice and so used to it. Like when I met Will as in, um, so I was very fortunate enough to meet DJ Snake after a show and I expected a handshake. I said, um, I really appreciate what you've done as an artist and, um, and have a good one. And he invited me back to hang out with him for an hour just to talk. And I did not expect that. And I didn't, and I was just blown away um, at him. He, he took the time to listen to the stuff I was working on and talk to me about where he came from and everything. And I was just blown away. And we just shared a fruit platter one afternoon. And I'm no, I was no one. I'm still no one. And he get, and he was one of the world's number one acts at the moment when he, when he was doing everything. How cool is that? Like, it's amazing. That's what you have to be. But, um, you're right. Like, so I, wanted the same thing. I wanted to pack up a ridiculous suitcase and not come home for three months because I was traveling. Um, if the opportunity came to do that, if I put the F, sorry, if I put the effort in, I could do that. Like if I was sat down with the right people and went to the right places. Um, but I feel like I'd al almost have to take either my best friend or my girlfriend, like, or both. Um, so I've got this like little technique where I, um, I, I, um, I guess my mom sort of drilled it into me. I play a, a weekly show in Brisbane as a residency, which is not advertised at all. Um, there's no, there's no arcane echo brand. It's not even Josh. Like I'm literally, um, like a, a resident DJ on a roster to a, um, a club, which is, um, not at all popular, not at all popular. And I play R and B and I play old school and new school R and B. And I play sometimes there's a crowd of maybe 300. Sometimes there's a crowd of literally three people, like not a crowd. That's just the three drunk people who play, or who rocked up one time. And it's like, um, it brings me back down to earth for the, for the, for the hour or two. So like I hang out, I just walk in, no one at all gives a shit that I'm there. And I love that. Right? I'm just there to be the next guy to play R and B. And I hang out with these cool people who are in the same thing. Like I'm not at all being an Arcane Echo project kind of guy for a minute, for a night. And I do that weekly, man. And that, I don't get paid much at all for it. And I just, I kind of love it, you know? And it's, and people say like, why do you do that? That's dumb ass. I don't play dubstep or trap. I don't advertise it. I just put a, a hat on, a hoodie on, and I just sort of sit there. And I still muck around with like learning techniques and mucking around with scratching and just there's no one there and I kind of like it, you know, it's dumb, but I like it because that's just me being Josh from Brisbane, you know, just playing a local Brisbane club. Whereas I know people who aren't even playing shows half the size that I'm playing, but they'll walk around like they're rock stars. 
and blowing everything out of like exaggerating everything, blowing everything out of proportion. And you're just like, calm down, man. <laughs> just like get off your horse. Cause ego is a huge thing in this. Everyone has an ego. Everyone has an ego, but it sounds like you're taking the steps to like mitigate it. Cause if I was an ego, then I'd be a rude. If I had a huge ego, I'd be rude. I mean, I am rude, but like, I'd be like, I'd be a terrible person. I don't want to be a terrible person. I'll be a good person. Cause in, in, when I'm finished, man, like in a year, like in a year after I've finished, no one is going to know the name Arcane Echo or care, you know? And that's fine. That's, I'm not trying to be like a, like the guy who's written everyone's wedding song. Otherwise I would have stayed with like acoustic music. Like I love John Mayer and stuff like that. So like he'll be timeless, but, um, or Ed Sheeran, like the most unbeatable artist in the world is probably Ed Sheeran. Um, people will argue with me on that, but he's obviously number one for a reason. Oh, he crushes Adele. it, yeah. Or Adele, whoever. Um, but so like, so everyone looks forward to that huge future pinnacle, you know, top of the ladder and I'm Martin Garrix as they approach you to ask for. Um, but you asked before, do they really want it? And you know what? Nine, nine times out of 10, I reckon it's no. Um, I don't, I don't want that. I don't, if I was offered Martin Garrix's life, I wouldn't take it. I don't think, like I said, I'd have to take my family or friends with me. And I like to not have an ego. I like to work hard. I also, I also love to be lazy. I love it. <laughs> I sleep in every day. <laughs> I have to wake up for this. <laughs> no, it's okay. Man. Well, yeah. What what do you reckon? <laughs> I I agree wholeheartedly. Um I, I think there needs to be more humility mm. in the industry, hundred percent. And the fact that you do that weekly is is amazing and like massive respect. Oh, um, it's nothing, dude. It's not it's not a successful gig. And um that's, no, but why that's I the like whole it. point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's why I like it. I love that. Josh, this has been by far one of the best conversations I've had, not just on the podcast, just hands down. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, man, man. Thanks so much. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. so cool to hear. I really don't have chats like this that often, if at all. Oh, so good, man. What, what if, if there's anything, what last words of advice would you give to the people listening to this podcast? Listening to this podcast. Okay. Um, I'm not just going to sit here and say, do what you want, don't have an ego, because that is um as cliche as can be and i may as well put it in a fortune cookie but if you don't do that you will be sad and there's a thing there's definitely a thing called happy sad where you smile but there's nothing not going on on the inside and i know a lot of people like that um if you want to if you want any kind of resemblance of success first map out what you think it is and don't take into consideration what people tell you what it is you have to find that internally um this is like the most i'm such an artist (laughs) sentence in the world but i couldn't um be told what to do ever sometimes that's good sometimes it's bad but it is my way and that means i'm responsible for everything that i either have or haven't gained it can be as simple as i'm too lazy i can't be bothered doing invoicing so i won't get paid this week or it could be as 
exciting as I want to tour this specific concert or festival. So I'm going to reach out. Like, for example, when I got the opportunity to play at DEF CON, it was because I personally handed a USB to the director, like the guy who books the acts and said, if you sit down on your laptop and you look at the files in this USB, which is songs and videos, you'll book me at DEF CON. And he did. And I had people telling me I wasn't ready to play because I didn't have a good, I had less than 10,000 followers, like no songs out on any labels, but I still played and it was an awesome gig. So like, stop, um, I'm not going to say stop listening to people because you have to listen to people. You have to listen to me. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> um, if you don't put the hours in, you're not going to get anything out. So just, just write down what you want, figure it out internally, put the hours in and don't ever, exactly what you said, don't ever expect a uh, direct path or silver bullet. You're not going to get one. Um, you need to work on yourself solely. Put it out for the world. You can put it out for free. You don't need to go on some label. And there's all these amazing avenues to go down like um, SoundCloud, Spotify, all that. YouTube, find out what you want internally. Work ridiculously hard and perfect your own craft. And then you'll start noticing people come to you instead of you getting rejected by 10 out of 10 emails that you send, which I still do. I still get rejected for emails, you know, like all the time that comes with it. Reject, rejection's part of it. Don't have a big ego. Otherwise you'll turn into someone who will start rumors about you. Um, you'll get rumors about you and that's always bad. That's just as bad as releasing a terrible song. <laughs> um, and if don't trust anyone, <laughs> But be happy. Only do it if you're happy. If you don't like it, then stop. Which is that's that's the that's a problem for a lot of people. Stopping what you don't like. If it's successful, if you get a two thousand dollar paycheck each week, that's cool, right? Like you, you look at that and you go, that's cool. But you've spent a week or a month or a year doing something to get that that you just aren't at all passionate about. Well, there's, there's your internal battle. So good luck with that, everyone. <laughs>